You can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Welcome to the Green Dragon Podcast. This is Jeremy with Lachlan. Hey guys. From Zorpazorp Games. Lachlan, this is the first time we've had you on, so as is tradition, you need to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, cool. My first uh, Green Dragon initiation. Long time listener, so this is a, a nice little exciting milestone for me. Um, hi guys, my name's Lockie. Uh, I run the YouTube channel Zorpazorp Gaming, and I've been playing Middle Earth for a long time now. I pretty much started with the, uh, the Battle Games in Middle Earth magazines by Diagostini. I think my very first box of models was the Minas Tirith starter set that came with like, you know, the, the six paints. Oh, yeah. It was like Chainmail and Mithril Silver and, and then like 12 men of Minas Tirith. And then I, uh, I played with them for like a month, you know, six on six. Uh, and then ended up getting like a Mumikill next, which is a weird <laughs> direction to go. So that was back in like, what, 2003. That was the first time I bought models. But I've been playing since the green, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring box set back in 01, stealing my friend's models. So ever since then, I've pretty much not stopped playing. Um, I just, just pretty much between me and my mates. Uh, and uh, and yeah, then about four, three years ago, I realized that the international community was still pretty huge and there were heaps of people playing in Brisbane. And so I reached out to them and was like, why have I been playing alone? Um, and uh, yeah, now it's it's been awesome. Our community is going crazy with the new edition. It's huge. We're getting 30 and 40 players at tournaments regularly. It's super exciting time. It really is, isn't it? It's it's had a renaissance. We're Just for people who know, because I've had lots of requests to do some content with you, and I don't think people realize where we are in Australia. So you're in uh, Brisbane, is that right? Yes, so I'm up in Brisbane, the capital of Queensland, yeah. and you guys are way down in Melbourne. Yes. Uh, so there's what's well, that's a, quite a big distance for the many UK listeners. Uh, that's like what are we like three and a half thousand kilometers apart or something? Oh, I don't think it's that much. Is it? What is it about fifteen, sixteen thousand? It is. Okay, you were right. It's seventeen hundred kilometers. I was I was way overestimating. Uh, so there you go. Well, but still, still a, a quite a journey. Well, yours is a round trip because we're going to have to get back. It's not like we can just stay there and, and overshoot our welcome. So that's fair enough as well. That's true. But of course, we have the advantage of planes now. And, and that's something that we're kind of working on a lot is getting this interstate and international kind of relations going between all the different community groups in Australia and New Zealand. So we're going to come down and and play with you guys in Melbourne, and hopefully we'll get you guys up here in Brisbane. We'll see. Yes, that's the plan. That's the plan. So hopefully hopefully sometime towards the end of this year, start of next year, there'll be some more collaboration of some kind and, and some more visual collaboration in theory. Yes, in person, in the same place. That's that's the future. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a main army, or are you a bit of a play-everything type person? Um, I kind of I have everything, basically. I've got very little of the Hobbit era stuff i've always just played the lord of the Rings systems um and when the hobbit films and stuff were coming out i wasn't really a part of the kind of international scene i was just playing with a couple of my mates and we were mostly playing osgiliath over and over again on my <laughs> stupid massive campaign board so um uh, i guess i started gondor and i've got a lot of gondor and mordor because of that but my heart has always been with rohan um rohan's kind of always been my favorite army and so i kind of try each kind of calendar year to pick one competitive army that i'll take to every single tournament so this year for me it's it's rohan uh which has evolved a bit over the year as mm. you know play testing and of course we had gondor at war come out which uh shook my list up a lot um but yeah so at the moment it's rohan but i pretty much have everything from the lord of the rings era and play everything whenever i can because it's all awesome 
Yeah, absolutely. And you're a scenario player as well. So narrative scenarios come out. You talked about Osgiliath. Is that straight from the book? Uh, well, absolutely. I'm kind of narrative gaming is is kind of like my real roots. You know, I, I, competitive gaming is is fun and they're all in it. And I really love the high tactics and stuff and the way that the SBG system translates to competitive play. I think it's really awesome and really unique compared to a lot of war games out there. But I love scenarios. I love narrative stuff. All through my childhood, it would all be about recreating moments from the movies and hooking up with mates and writing like you know custom campaigns or playing the old kind of all the like scenarios from the White Dwarves in the early 2000s, like the Harrod kind of assault on mm. Glamorgarth and all these really cool old school scenarios. That was always what got me really excited. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, there's there's so many good ones, and you can usually spot it when someone says that they've got everything from a certain era or whatever. You know that that's probably a scenario player. They've gone and they've said, "Oh, I only need to get another 24 mortar orcs, and I'm okay for this scenario. Then I need another Mulmark. Then I need this and this, and it just builds up, doesn't it?" Yeah, absolutely. That's like legitimately what happens. Oh, and the Pelennor Fields source book came out. Better buy an Elfin and a few Harrod to play those. Oh, now it's Siege of Gondor. Or, you know, it's definitely, definitely the way my childhood evolved. I must have everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I've got that. I'm I'm that person in our group as well. And and for us, it's a good time because we're getting all those source books back in different ways. And yes, they've got a couple new characters for the the competitive players, but they're really for us, aren't they? Because they're just scenario after scenario after scenario. Yeah, it's so good. Like just the high scenario count. Like Gondor at War was twenty seven, and Scouring of the Shire was yeah somewhere in the twenties as well. It's just awesome. And um and the way that like they're not just rehashing old content. It's really new, innovative scenario design that just like it's it's great because it's like oh I could get all these old collections out of armies that I would never take competitively because who runs that unit? But it's in the scenario, so I get a reason to play with it. So it's mm. it's good. Yeah, we used to even uh, the ones that weren't in scenarios used to write our own scenarios for them as well. And and I remember having like a Barrow White scenario against some men of Dunland Wild Men and and all kinds of little scenarios that to fill it in because it's a really fun way of playing it. And for me, it was always about the in-game game rather than the list writing. That's that's not something that interests me as much as the other parts. So, yeah, putting the models on the table, getting a really nice looking board and a story is, is definitely Lord of the Rings for me. Yeah, for sure. Same here. I think that's something that's like a real testament to the strength of the system is just the diversity of the ways that you can play. Obviously, we've got kind of classic scenario play and then stuff like battle companies that we're talking about today with all or RPG elements and then really competitive play. It's such a flexible system. Mm. Now, today I've got you on because I've been having a look at, at some of your YouTube channels. It seems like you're the CEO and chief content creator of Zorpazorp Games. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. I mean, we say... We say the team here at Zorpazort, which a few of my mates always wind me up about because it's me, and then like <laughs> whichever of my mates I can rope into being videos. We here at Zorpazort, which means Lockie and whoever's around. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. And don't tell me your studio is just a room in your house or something like that. Oh, yeah, it's, that's that's exactly what it is. It's I'm, I'm really lucky we've got a great space directly underneath the house with a kind of big old rumpus room and a, and a double car garage, which has all been completely converted into a studio space that's <laughs> chocked full of half-started terrain projects. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, you can see that in the background of the videos. So I've been watching some of your the exploits of your rangers for your battle companies, and I thought, I haven't talked about battle companies Lachlan likes to talk about battle companies. Let's talk about some battle companies. Let's indeed. My poor rangers. They got a bit savage recently. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, they, yeah, they did. Yeah, that last one was brutal. Now, before we do that, just one last thing about Zorpazorp. You don't just do the YouTube uh, channel, do you? You've got some other endeavours. 
yeah, so obviously our main kind of platform is YouTube, which is where we sort of connect with our audience and upload videos and stuff. But we've got our, our own website now, ZorpaZorp.com, where we have a uh, an online store where we sell uh, the vast majority of the Luke's APS Scenics range. So that's all your terrain supplies, static grasses, foam flocks, basing materials, uh, as well as starting to bring out some of our own resin terrain kits as well, which is really mm. cool. So we can link all of that in with the channel and, and try and earn a few dollars here and there by, you know, selling the stuff that we're kind of teaching people to do as well. So it links in nicely because I can show people how to use the products and then they can get them directly from me and it can help fund us making more videos and more content for everyone. So yeah, it's going well. Yep, so a bit of YouTube, bit of bit of selling some materials and things relating to the game or modeling in general and some fantastic tutorials on the channel as well as some really interesting games and, and scenarios and things. Uh, you've got it all cut out for you. And I've heard recently, Lachlan, as well, you've just adding to your family as well on a personal note. That's correct. We have our first little uh, baby girl, which is very exciting. Our first little shield maiden of Rohan, Hazel. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're we're very excited. She's just gone a month old uh, a couple of days ago, so we're right in, the, right in the thick of the beginnings of it. It's really exciting. Yeah, I really respect that you're still putting the content out during that time as well, because I know, I know how busy life can get, and, and your commitment is, is really admirable there. Yeah, I was really, uh, it sort of, it wasn't planned, but it was quite lucky that because life got super busy leading up to Hazel's birth, I had all of these videos just sitting in the edit bay waiting to be pushed out. So with very little effort, I've managed to keep it going and keep putting stuff out. I think we put eight videos out this month, which was a record. And I was like, how did I do that? This has been the busiest month of my life. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, they just so keep it's, coming. Yeah. It, it's uh, quite lucky we've got, we've, I'm just so behind of getting everything out. I've had a fair bit to push out to people. Oh, <laughs> uh, well done, well done. Okay, so we're going to come back after a very short break with the Battle Companies. Battle Companies. Battle Companies is an interesting way of playing the Lord of the Rings Middle Earth strategy battle game where you have a very small warband company of heroes, warriors, never do wells, whatever, and you follow them through their careers and, and oftentimes you you have some smiles with them, you have some laughs with them, and then you mourn their their inevitable death when they get eaten by some wags. So in our Battle Companies game, this has been going on for that was quite a long time. Lachlan, you said you started uh, Battle Companies in the early days. When was that? Yeah, well, I guess the first sort of edition would have been sometime in 2003, I think, we got a series of White Dwarf articles that kind of outlined this system, which I think was initially developed by Adam Troke. Um, 
And, uh, and yeah, so it was kind of a, a series of linked articles to sort of giving you information on little companies. You'd start with six or seven warriors and then you could recruit more dudes and play some games with your mates and they'd all kind of level up and get experience. And it brought these sort of RPG elements, like a kind of overlay system to this even smaller skirmish scale than normal uh, battle companies. And then, of course, in 2017 or 18, we had sort of like the official second edition, which was a proper hard-backed book which was very exciting. Uh, and then just this year, we had uh, the, the newest edition of all quite quickly after that mm. kind of first edition. But uh, this the, the new edition that we're all playing now, I, I guess it's kind of third edition, um, is, is just fantastic and has so much more punch into it. It's really great. Yeah, I was very cynical about that release when we got Battle Companies because I feel like we just dusted off our books. We played through maybe one campaign and there was there was content, so much content to cover. And then we get another Battle Companies book drop. So my first reaction was, unfortunately, oh, no, not Battle Companies. I'll give this a miss. I don't really need it. But I've ended up with a book here, and I'm quite positive about it. So we're going to talk about why that is, because it has, if not, uh, sorry, if not, um, it's definitely met my expectations of what a good book is and exceeded my expectations of what I thought it would be, which was just a rehash of something I'd seen before. Yeah, there's a lot of improvements. There's so much. I mean, we'll kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it as we work our mm. way through the book. But um, there's, yeah, just a lot of streamlines and kind of improvements in the right areas and then extra layers of detail where it was kind of lacking in the sort of second edition. So, yeah, I've, I, I like yourself, was kind of a bit like, ah, we probably didn't need this uh, immediately or so close to the to the original one, but it, they've they've done a lot of great work and added a lot, like the map campaign and oh yeah, lots lots of juicy mm. goodies. Oh yeah, so much stuff. Now, once again, I'll just remind our listeners: we do expect you to have a copy of the book around in your gaming group in some way. So we're not going to read out everything. I know that there's some people I think trying to sneak in and getting insights of the whole books. It's not possible. You can't do it. It's not going to be all covered, but we will cover lots of things. We'll go through lots of details and and get excited about it as well because there's so much in here and what we cover is just not all of it. There is a lot. Yeah, I think we'd be here for hours and hours if we talked through mm. almost every word of the book. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you give you the highlights and our impressions and how and why we enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, we're going straight into our book. We're opening it up. Uh, it's a very nicely presented book. And we've got our mustering a war band. So what we have to do to start battle companies is create a battle company. Now, the nice thing for people like me, and we talked about this before, is they give you a starting battle company. No matter what you choose, so if you choose, say, an Arnold battle company, you look straight in and it tells you what your starting battle company is. Very, very easy to get started. Yeah, it's such a, like, because it's the small scale and it, there's, you know, a starting company for every single faction. You can sort of just pick something that you like and it's really easy to get going because it's like, what, six or seven or sometimes eight or nine models for those starting companies. Uh, it's really small scale, really easy to get into. And sometimes a lot less. I know there's some with four around and five and oh, six. Oh, yeah, that's true. My Rangers of the North Company started with four models. <laughs> well, yeah, that's fair enough. They are nasty models. So you've got a real narrative focus. People normally name each of their models. Uh, sometimes they don't, but you normally do. You name the models. And normally you can get up to 15 of them, where three of them start as your heroes. So you get a... Uh, is it a, a sergeant? Sergeants are the lieutenants, are they? Oh, wait a second. Yeah, two two sergeants and one lieutenant. So the lieutenant what? is your leader. Yep. And then two sergeants are the, uh, the right-hand men or women of your company. Yes, more often than not men. But yes, you can absolutely have women leading your company if you wish. So we have these models are differentiated in that they have a basic profile, but you choose those three of them to get 
some might, will, and fate to start off with. So already they become heroes, but unlike heroes in the, the standard game, they're really fragile and they're not particularly killy. They they basically get a heroic at some point in the game, but they they die like warriors. And one thing I notice is their courage really comes into play because they've usually got pretty average courage. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the really fun things about the kind of beginning phase of battle companies is literally everyone has warrior profiles, and they're not even good warriors. They're like, you know, starting warriors. So if you're playing Minas Tirith, all you've got is some warriors of Minas Tirith, and then your heroes are just warriors who have got one might, one will, and one fate. So you get really attached to these, like, scrappy little warriors, and then when they actually do stuff and they kill things, it's like the most... It's satisfying feeling ever because they're useless but uh, <laughs> when they are effective it's it's a very very nice moment yeah absolutely it's normally the guys you use is uh like bait in the games or someone to take a charge from a lindel or whatever you just throw them away expect them to die in this one you get attached to them and and sometimes models that you don't particularly like and you want to get rid of you become attached to them as well it's it's a really interesting system that way we get our company then we play a game, and we'll go into the games a bit later because there is a lot of different styles of games in this edition, but the main difference for Battle Companies is that you have an after-game game where you keep track of what's going on with the, the Warriors, what's going on with your heroes, and your company may change. Well, it almost always does, but it may change. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of really almost RPG kind of elements that are sort of overlaid into this post-game period where you've got to keep track of how effective your warriors are in combat and your heroes, they own experience, they can kind of get promoted or level up, but of course they can get injured as well. Oh, absolutely. So the first thing you do is injuries, which is also known as the, oh, no phase. So every time a model gets taken out of action, you've got to roll at the end of the game to see if they recover or they, they end up getting an injury or possibly dying. Uh, for warriors, it's pretty easy. It's it's you roll two dice, and on a two or a three, they're dead. On a four or a five, they miss a game, and then anything else, they're fine. So they they're usually okay. But the heroes, you have to roll on this chart, and unfortunately, there's a lot of things that can can hurt you. There's you can get lost, you can get an arm wound or a leg wound, or you can get even better sometimes. And you can also recover yourself, so you can recover the wounds later on if you roll well. But it's it's always nerve-wracking when your hero gets an injury. Yeah, it can be pretty savage. The The hero injury chart is sort of more forgiving and less forgiving at the same time. You've got some pretty savage stuff that can happen, obviously arm wounds and leg wounds. But then, of course, you can get extra fate points and extra influence and, and all sorts of goodies if you manage to roll well. Um, but the, the one thing that I always forget is when you get an arm wound, you can't use a bow. And when that happens to four guys at once, my God, that could be really frustrating. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll outdo you with that one. I basically only ever roll on this one three options. I roll dead, I roll leg wounds, and I roll full recoveries, but I don't know which order they are. So I've had the uh, the double leg wound happen quite a few Oof. times. And Oof. it's one leg's okay. You, you, you're an inch slower. You can deal with that. Two legs, nah, you're out. There's no wheelchair in my warband, and you retire straight away. <laughs> Yes, it's, uh, yeah, same with no arm wounds. You can't be uh, the uh, the Black Knight from uh, from the Holy Grail. Uh, you are uh, if you take a second arm wound, you're out as well. So it, it can be can be not forgiving. No, it isn't. So you don't want to get too attached to the models, but it does create a good story sometimes. You don't basically you want your heroes to stay alive as long as you have heroes. Your warband's okay. If you lose all your heroes or most of your heroes, it becomes a very tough game to play. 
it's a very tough game with no heroes. They certainly, they're kind of like the big hard-hitting kind of power in the company, particularly at such a small scale once you start to really level up heroes. And that's one thing that can happen with battle companies you, is you start stacking all of these ridiculous special rule chains and your heroes suddenly mm. become very effective. I think I've only actually ever lost a single hero in my entire uh battle company's experience and that was he got injured in one game and then i rolled the lost in battle result and so the next game i had to play uh we were sort of essentially fighting over him as an objective marker and i was playing with my 500 point rohan company against a 112 point gondor company that was like one game in and i had (laughs) eight models all all mounted and the worst dice you've ever seen, I lost the game against someone 400 points my junior and lost my hero. It has it is infamous in the Queensland Battle Company <laughs> scene, the death of Aron. So it uh, it can be a wild game at times. Uh, yeah, it can be. Yeah, that, well, that's a fantastic story. And I, I lose them a lot. We've had in our area people almost restarting after they lose a hero or two, and I, I don't do that. I stubbornly refuse to. And people look at me very strange. I had an elf company at one point where... The first game in, I had three heroes to start the game. At the end of the game, I got a win, but managed to have two heroes roll the dead result. So I had one hero left and like two models, and I could afford one reinforcement after all my winnings. And, oh, that was a hard campaign. I don't think I won many games in that one. Yes, yeah, a bad start can certainly set you back a long way. But there is some some kind of methods for balancing mm. those big companies versus small companies, which we'll get into in a sec. So uh, it's not all bleak. There can be some boons. Oh, absolutely. And the main boons, once you get through the injury part, you get to go and get experience. And this is the part that everyone's excited about. Because if you survive, you've got, you've got a warband still. You've got your company. You've got models. You start rolling. Your warriors, are get every time they get five experience, which you get through doing a kill and participating in a game, once you get to five, which happens every two, three, four games, you roll on the warrior progression chart, which is also pretty unforgiving. Um, half the time, it's got no effect whatsoever. On a two, uh, sorry, on a four to a five, you get promoted. Now, only some companies have promotions. So, for example, is Minas Tirith can sometimes get promoted to Citadel Guard. So that's a pretty good deal. You get some stat upgrades. You get some good rules. Fantastic if you get a promotion if you're a promotion company. But what you really want is a hero in the making. When you roll a six. You become a hero and you get a fate point. Fate point's okay, but every time now you start getting the progressions of a hero, which are insanely good to hero promotions. Yeah, they are really powerful. And the thing that can be quite tricky is often when you're rolling on warrior advancement, you don't want to roll that six straight away because any warrior who gets turned into a hero kind of gets frozen at whatever hero stat line he or she has. So often, like for instance, in my old Rohan company, when I had warriors of Rohan, I'd always want them to get promoted first so that they would (laughs) either become a Rohan royal guard or become a rider of Rohan and then roll a six down the track and turn into a hero to get those stat upgrades baked in before. Uh, And that way, later down the track, they can become more powerful heroes. Oh, that's a clever way of doing it. I don't really play many of the promoted ones, so I haven't experienced that way. I've just been experiencing the many, many disappointing one to five roles where you don't get a hero, and then getting a hero and then having them immediately killed the next game. (laughs) Oh, ouch. (laughs) But that's fun as well. Now, the best thing about the heroes now, in the past you rolled randomly, and once you you got a certain amount of stats, if you maxed out on stats, you started choosing. So it became very quickly everyone had like maximum attacks and might heroes, and everything else was up in the air. But now you choose a path for your heroes, which is probably my favorite part of the game at the moment. You've got a path of a warrior, ranger, general, knight, a scout, adventurer, sorcerer, or beast, which I'm really keen to get a beast at some point. 
and this uh, controls how your hero upgrades quite a bit. Yeah, I think this is definitely probably my favourite change between 2nd edition and 3rd edition. Like Jeremy said, it was kind of all a bit randomised and you sort of just upgraded different bits and pieces. Whereas now you can really theme your heroes to what you want them to be. They can be sort of a real combat monster or a a real shooty hero uh, or a real general. For my current company that I'm running, Rangers of the North, uh, their sort of narrative is that it's a very young uh, Aragorn and Halberad. Uh, and uh, and young Gandalf the Grey, although when is he ever really young? He still is like 3,000. Uh, so um, so I've got you know Aragorn on Path of the Warrior, and he's really kind of combat heavy, and then Halbarad, who's my general, he's on Path of the General, and one of the results on that path is that you can get a banner effect, and of course Halbarad is famed for the banner of Arwen Evenstar, which I managed mm. to roll. So, so now my general has the banner, just like Halbarad has his banner. So it, the paths, they're, they're a great way to really kind of theme and tool uh, and of course, Gandalf is on the path of the Sorcerer, which is like the coolest path. We have magic in battle yes, combat yes. now. Very exciting. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my favorite new one as well, the Sorcerer one. I can't resist the idea of having a Sorcerer in a, in a war. Even though I, I haven't really got much use out of mine yet, it's just it's a fun little path. Some of the other paths that are really interesting, there's a few shooting paths, but there's definitely a path of a knight. So if you're a cavalry model, that's a really uh, nice one to go for. But there's Scout and the Inventor intrigue me. I haven't tried these ones. But you basically get bonuses about moving around terrain and ambushing and things like that. Yeah, I've actually just upgraded uh, a Ranger of the North on each of these paths, so I'm yet to kind of really jump into them. But when you're playing with Rangers of the North, every model is the same. So I'm like, I've got to put some on different paths for some variety here, or I'm just going to have identical models. But yeah, there's like access to throwing daggers and some poison weapons and, and then kind of, yeah, Master of Terrain and Ambush and some Fearless and all sorts of like different special rules that can really flavor the way your heroes play. Yeah, and the nice thing about it as well is it keeps them in theme because we used to get some really strange combinations where you'd get like certain ideal combina- ideal progressions, whereas now you get some some really themed ones. So if you're shooting one, pretty much only gets shooting upgrades and then might. It doesn't get extra attacks and things like that, or maybe it does, but I just haven't found it. Um, yeah, that's identical to what happened to me with my old Rohan company, is often my bowmen would start getting all these extra attacks and things, and then I'd, they'd be shooting, and then I'd just end throwing up, throwing them into combat. Whereas now getting attacks... Um, you, you, it's attack or wound in this chart, oh, so yeah, you can yeah. choose to give them extra wounds instead, uh, and you know, give them things like defense and all the bow special rules before you start giving them attacks, which is yeah, a much much cleverer game design. But it also says neither attacks nor wounds may exceed two in this one, so it really does limit you in that one. Whereas I think yes, yeah, true. So like the path of the knight can get three attacks rather than two, so. That's that's a nice thematic change. It also means you don't get um, like if you want a warrior, a combat warrior, you don't get silly upgrades like uh, getting better with your bow and things like that. Where you get some some useless ones where models that couldn't take a bow or didn't want to take a bow would get an upgrade for extra shots. Each company gets a rating because you get some very different qualities of companies. We talked about some of ours being really powerful or, or really weak. Uh, you get a rating for the company, and there's a bit of maths involved in this. And I think this is my least favorite part of the game is that you basically, each warrior or hero has a base cost and then an extra cost for all their upgrades, all their extra equipment, all their extra items, and you basically use that to generate a cost. And then in terms of playing a game, you get some extra re-rolls and extra influence based on the differential between your warbands. 
Yeah, it can be a bit of an annoying step, sort of keeping track of all of the uh, tricky kind of different ways that your models progress. Like if they're heroes, then their war gear starts costing different things. If they've got different stats, any hero that has a combination of more than three attacks or wounds combined, they start paying a, a more of a premium for their war gear. So uh, it can be quite a tricky stage, but it is essential and it's really helpful for balancing games between massive and small companies. I guess the biggest bonus here is when you're starting out and you're fighting all these scary Rohan companies, you get to get some extra influence bonuses so you can save up and buy something nasty or give some equipment to your guys or to get get extra recruits. The getting extra recruits is an interesting system as well where you basically pay three influence to, to get a, a person coming and joining your company, but you can also use influence to modify that role. So usually the higher the role, the better the, the model that comes in. And sometimes people go and hoard all this money. Yeah, managing your influence is, is super key. The way that you generate that is that you either... You get like little influence bonuses for the way that you play. If you get a win, you get four influence. If you get a draw, you get three. And if every time you play a game, you get two. And, and this kind of currency of influence is what you use to summon more reinforcements uh, or purchase items of war gear from the armory. Um, so it can be it can be really sort of clever to kind of bank up your influence so that when you spend for reinforcements you can modify that role and get onto the kind of extra special reinforcement tables that a lot of companies have which we'll dive into a bit later uh, so it's it's definitely a, a key strategy and getting extra big influence bonuses from playing companies much larger than yours can certainly be a bit of a strategy for people trying to get some influence to make some expensive purchases like uh, Gundabad Trolls, Jeremy? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love the Gundabad Oh, good about ogres they are. The trolls are in the... Oh, ogres, sorry. Yeah. No, they're the huge ones. They're not in battle <laughs> yeah. companies. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We, oh, maybe I can sneak one in. I might be able to. Maybe that scenario House where you roulette. fight the cave troll will fight a Gundabad troll instead. Oh, yeah, that would be good. That scenario needs some work too. It's one of the few optimized scenarios in the game. Yes, yes. So you get, you get that. But in addition to this, and you've already sort of got the idea that, that our model's changed, the armory, we've we've hinted on this, you can go and get a huge amount of choice for weapons for your heroes. Your warriors are pretty limited in what they can get, but you've got weapons from other models from your company, but there's also ways to sneakily get uh, weapons from other people's companies and equipment and things like that. Uh, so the armory, do you want to talk a bit about that, Lachlan? Yeah, so essentially, like Jeremy said, your your warriors are really restricted. They're only allowed to purchase what would normally be available to them. But your heroes, uh, and this got clarified firmly in this new edition, which is really good, they are able to purchase any piece of equipment that is available to anyone who could potentially join their roster. So for instance, someone playing with a Mordor company, their normal starting heroes are Mordor orcs, uh, but at some point they might be able to uh, recruit a Wag Rider, so that means that from the beginning of the campaign, uh, their Mordor Orc heroes could purchase a Warg, and you know you can mount up your heroes, even though that's not normally in the Orc Warrior profile. So they've got kind of the heroes have a big access to all the gear that you could possibly get for your company, and you can really kind of tool them out. Uh, you know, give them mounts, give them lances, give them extra bits of pieces like uh, armor, upgrading armor to heavy armor, and, and all that sort of stuff. So you can really go crazy with that with the armory, and then on top of that, there's kind of this whole 
extra layer of really themey battle companies equipment. Uh, some of them for warriors, some of them from heroes, uh, and there's lots of really interesting choices in here. Some of them are great, some of them aren't that effective, um, but there is a pretty good variety which makes for some pretty interesting moments. There's things like manacles where you can give your heroes essentially like binders so that you can tie up mm. enemy heroes and, and paralyze them. Uh, you can get concealing cloaks, there's elvish waybread, there's all sorts of crazy themey stuff in here. Oh, there, there definitely is. And even things like just getting a backpack so you can hold some more weapons and, and put your bow away and get out your combat weapons if you need to. Some of my favorites, the war drum. So the the orcs and other evil models can take a drum and get the whole warband faster. Uh, but there's also things like um, scrolls of hidden paths and lucky talismans and all this sort of stuff that you haven't heard of before that give you a little bit of a bonus and it could be well worth adding to your hero. I think my favorite is probably, and it depends on what company I'm running, is the Rallying Horn. I also really love equipment that gives me a, a good excuse to like model a cool conversion, because I have a rule, anytime I take equipment, it has to be on the model. So uh, the Rallying Horn's great, because I get to give one of my guys a little musical horn from the Bits box. Uh, but the Rallying Horn effectively modifies your reinforcement roll. So every time you roll on that table to get extra dudes... Uh, you know, you're rolling a four, it turns into a five, and so that can be really useful. So I always try and purchase that as early as possible when I'm running a quite a large size company, but also the Seeing Stone is really cool. Very good for sorcerers. Uh, it's kind of like a, modeled as a bit of a palantir, uh, and that allows you to um, try and grab priority uh, every turn by rolling a six beforehand. So it's it's really, really fun. My first goal of the battle companies is to get a full company, so as close as I can to it, so almost up to 15. And then I go and purchase the healing herbs because there's that one game where every single model goes out of action at the end and you really don't want them to die. So you, you drop your herbs, you feed it to everyone and hopefully there's less chance of getting injured. Yeah, dude, I have an interesting relationship with healing herbs. I, I was running my Rohan company our last campaign and I was always like, I, I never played a single game without having healing herbs. I was so like, you know, obsessive compulsive about not losing any company. And then <laughs> this last campaign, I was like, well, I barely used it last time. I'm just never going to buy it and see how far I can go. And it, and it worked for a long time until the last game where I got mauled. So buy your healing herbs, folks. <laughs> I think it's really good for that. It's like some of the scenarios you might lose one or two models and then you're done. But there are times when you get almost a total company wipeout. You're left with one model on the, the table holding the objective or something like that. And that's the time where the herbs just give you a bit of a peace of mind to know that there's a lot less chance of you losing half your models. You still lose a couple maybe or one or two, but that's much better than three or four and having to start from scratch. Yeah, it's pretty effective for warriors, that's for sure, because it adds plus one to your injury roll and, and, and the injury kind of chart for the warriors is so small. With 2d6, you just need to get essentially a four or a five and they only miss a game or a, a six plus and they're fine. So getting that plus one, it just it, anytime you get a dead, most of the time it pushes it up into injured. So it's, it's a great way to really minimize <laughs> severe casualties. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, the other options you've got for the companies, you've got Wanderers, which were around in the last edition, where you could basically get a mercenary of some kind. So this time we've got scouts and fighters and sages and shamans and vagabonds and dwarves and elves wandering around, very much in the story of, of Middle-earth. There's always a wandering elf or dwarf in it somewhere around. You can add them to your company. It's really good for those companies that start off with low fight, not a lot of attacks, really need someone to help them out just to just to throw in an elf or dwarf to help you out or even a fighter is is a pretty useful addition. Yeah, they're really fun narrative flavor as well. Some of them, I mean, like I, I guess we'll talk about this as we get through, but like the whole 
competitive versus narrative mindset with battle oh, yeah, companies. Yeah. It's 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 definitely designed for having really fun games and and story and and not kind of trying to meta or trying to game the system. So the thing that's nice about Wanderers is even though some of them might not be the most competitive or combat effective choice. Um, they're they're a really great option for you to build the story of your company, which is really fun. Oh, I agree with that one, but I also think you want your company to be able to hold their own in the game. You don't need to to win or anything like that. But last thing you want is a whole bunch of games where you walk up, the other person kills you, gets lots of experience, you roll in your rewards chart and and rinse and repeat. So I've I've used this in the past when I've run companies that are, have been pretty average. So ones like. Um, uh, was it Lake Town or some? I had one that, that was really low across the board, and I really wanted to get an elf in there just so I had something to scare the enemy heroes. Because at the moment they'll just walk up to me and just start chewing through my lines with ease and all my warriors. So it's it's nice as well, not so much just to to guarantee me a win, but just to make me play in the scenarios for a little bit longer. Yes, definitely. Uh, battle companies can certainly be cutthroat at times because of the low nature uh, of the model count. Uh, it's, it's yeah, definitely, definitely handy to have some staying power so that it's not a miserable experience. Absolutely. And one of the the parts that's been expanded out quite a bit in this edition is the creatures, and these are really popular in our local scene, where basically a hero gets a pet of some kind and does all kinds of interesting bonuses. Yeah, this is probably my favorite addition to the new to the new edition between second and third. The, as soon as I had spare influence, I was buying dogs for all my all my uh, ranger heroes and getting doggos and naming them and and dude, these hunting dogs are savage. They are so effective. Everyone underestimates them and I have one dog in particular. They're called Grip Fang and Wolf, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's I, I'm pretty sure it's Fang. He's got like this insane kill count. He's killed like four elves, uh, three or He's just he just molds everybody, so it's very fun when your creatures uh, come to the party. <laughs> yeah, and there's not much to lose if they go down because they're just a considered equipment, so they're they're well truly worth it. The thing that um, the one that's been terrorizing our local scene is Jaden has a Wanderers in the Wild company, so he's got a mixture of dwarves, uh, elves, oh, and a yeah. hobbit, and there's a raven that keeps popping out of his uh, dwarf hero. And basically provides a banner effect for them, and so suddenly you get this dwarf wall that's that's really really powerful with the birds behind it, and you're trying your best to chase down the birds, and of course they're birds, so you can't catch the things. Yeah, a really good addition. I'm looking forward to seeing things like the drake and um, the falcon around as well. I haven't seen those yet, but they should be fun. Yeah, we haven't played anyone with Easterlings yet in our little campaign, so we haven't got any runish, uh, or I suppose Orkhan, any runish drakes yet, but they're a very cool little profile. But yeah, they're pretty much anything that brings a banner effect to battle companies is really powerful. Um, and uh, those, the, uh, it's the, yeah, the Raven, uh, and of course the, the banner effect on the general path, are, I think the only two ways of getting it. Um, and it's, yeah, it can be very powerful indeed. Mm, yeah, but, but good fun as well, and... and... You don't mind powerful battle companies because powerful always comes with a really cool story, so it's not too bad. Very true. Okay, so that's that's our general equipment. Get the book if you want to read through more of them. You can study it for a long time and plan out your conversions uh, and, and go through, get some modeling, cut, cut bits off other models, sculpt some up yourself. There's There's lots of different options. There's lots of good suggestions in the photos as well. But we're going to go into the companies, and this time we've got pretty much a complete collection of companies, which made me very happy. Yeah, one thing that sort of annoyed me about the last edition was that 
you know, you had a core selection of companies and then they were kind of released through White Dwarf, uh, which is great to always have more uh, Middle-Earth content in White Dwarf, but I love that I now have, like, all of them in one place in, in the book, uh, as well as a few extras uh, as well. We've got a really complete sample of factions. So what we're going to do, we'll go through our factions, we'll go through the, what they kind of models they start with, what's potential upgrades for you, and also they each get a hero upgrade, a special rule as well that the heroes can possibly get, which... And add some more theme to them to uniquely. So I'm going to start off, Lachlan. Minas Tirith, which is an old favourite of everyone's. You start off with just Warriors and Minas Tirith, just a bunch of them, six of them in total. But you get excited when you get a Ranger, a Citadel Guard, a Guard of Fountain Court, a Knight of Minas Tirith, or your choice of any, which is really fantastic. Uh, you can also get weapons and uh, add extra weapons to them. But their hero special rule for the White City the model gets a bonus of 1 plus to the fight value on the turn it charges. Now, consider most things are fight 3 or 4 in this game. Getting a plus 1 to fight value is really a nasty surprise. Yeah, it's a really powerful little special rule. Some of the like army-specific hero upgrades across the factions can be a bit hit and miss, but the mm. Minas Tirith one is, is really strong with so many low fight models. Especially because you've got horses native to the list as well, so you can have your, your lieutenant riding around on a horse with a lance and... Getting bonuses to fight, though, he becomes a real real hitter. Indeed. Keeping on our Gondor theme, the next company is Osgiliath, which is uh, a nice kind of themey choice for everyone who wants to do some cool modelling, get a bit of ruins on the bases. Mm. Uh, we start with a little bit of different flavour in our starting battle company. We've got some warriors and some rangers with a mix of equipment, which of course represents the garrison station at Osgiliath. They're a lot more restricted in terms of their advancements and their reinforcements. They're Essentially, they can get warriors and rangers, uh, and then those can be upgraded to Osgiliath veterans with different weapons weapons and then some knights so they've still got cavalry uh and they've got uh, a little bit more uh a little bit more theme with their osgiliath veterans and one thing of course that we know about vets is they've got their special loyal to the captain's rule which relates to faramir and boromir mm. they get plus one fight value when they're within six inches of either of them i think um and the the veterans in this company treat their battle company's leader in the same way uh, as they would treat Boromir and Faramir in the normal game, which is really cool. Uh, and then kind of even more themed is their special rule is sure-footed, which is that they are never slowed by difficult terrain because they're so used to scrambling through the ruins. So a really cool themey company. Absolutely, and one that's got the potential to be quite playable because anytime you get horses in the list, you know you can you can get some hitters. The, the difficult terrain rule is really nice in that battle companies you often play on a very dense board. So having a model that can dart through some ruins or some rubble or some forests or whatever is really useful, especially when you're chasing down objectives and things. Then we move on to the fiefdoms. So we're going through Gondor onto the onto the fiefdoms, fiefdoms, whatever you like to call them. This one you get a mixture. So you've got a Dol Amroth that Knight of Dol Amroth that must be your leader, three men at arms and two Black Reval archers. So you could get a bit of the all stars. And, of course, you can add in a Clansman, an Axeman, so Clansman of Lamedon, Axeman of Lossenark, or a Knight of Dol Amroth, or a Knight of Dol Amroth on a horse, proper Knight of Dol Amroth. So you've got a pretty, pretty nasty company here, a bit of a Fiefdoms All-Star. And your special rule, once again, same as the Gondor one for the White City, one plus fight to the turn it charges. Boring again, the same one, but just as good. Yeah, for me, I, I'm a big Dol Amroth fan. This was sort of one of my uh, kind of really early armies when I, when I kind of first got Minas Tirith uh, as a kid. Then the uh, Pelennor Fields uh, supplement came out, and I was like, oh, those blue and white dudes look amazing. So I, I've got a huge uh, soft spot for the fiefdoms. But I really think that this is 
probably one of the battle companies that was a bit of a missed opportunity. Between uh, the last edition, second edition, which was in our last edition of uh, the main rules, when we came into the new edition, the fiefdoms got all of these incredible new rules, these synergies between their different heroes, uh, where Prince Imrahil did certain buffs, and Forlong and Angbor, they all kind of provide these different buffs. And I thought that they could have translated the theme of that general army better into the battle company, because essentially it's just a reskin of Gondor just with some different units. Mm. So I thought perhaps what they were going to do is use their lieutenants and sergeants to count uh, as uh, Imrahil, Forlong, and Angbor, and then that would relate better to the special rules that are built into the profiles of their troops. Uh, but instead, they kind of just gave them the plus one fight value special rule, uh, the same as Gondor. So I thought they could have done something a little bit more exciting. However, keeping it balanced would have been tricky because yes. the, the, all those synergies are very powerful. So I just a little bit more flavor that was still balanced would have probably been on my shopping list for them. Yeah, I just think a, a bubble effect, maybe even just a three-inch one for the hero would have been mm. really nice. And it doesn't have to be the super powerful, uh, like um, Prince Imrahil one. Even something like Angbor's one about the courage or something like that might have been been nice. Or, or even just a, like a, a re-roll ones or something simple where you get like a banner effect, but it's only on specific die rolls might have been more keeping with their, their Lord of the Rings counterparts. But not to be, but that's all right. It's still a great selection of units and some really good variety. And, uh, you know, it just looks gorgeous on the table, doesn't it? Some of the most pretty models in the whole range, I think. They are now. They used to... I used to... Um, I have the old original Dollar Amroth football. Oh, don't tell I, me you're a big helmet hater. I, no, I'm... Well, yes, but I also hate the um, the scale and the, the poses and... The proportions are just a little bit out, but the new ones are fantastic. So I've grown to like them, and I will eventually flesh out my Dol Amroth as well. I I just cannot not see those models through the the glass of nostalgia. I love them. I want to. I want an army of the pure, ridiculously out of proportion medals. I they're they're <laughs> weird and they look like they belong in Warhammer Fantasy, but they're so cool. I love them. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, you... I can totally see why they were toned down a little bit in the redesign. <laughs> Do you have the original Metal Knights? I do, yeah. I've got um, a box of the metal knights and a, and a box of the plastic knights, which are kind of similarly proportioned. But I don't have any of the new Forge World resin redesigns. Oh. Uh, all of my Dolanroth ones are the the old metal guys for the foot knights. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, okay, I'm, the old. I'm, I'm a sucker for the old ones. <laughs> the old knights, especially, were interesting as well. The poses of some of those horses are very low to the ground and. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the I definitely love the plastic box of of knights. Oh, mm. In terms of the mounted models, they're definitely better than the metal ones, but I, I still prefer the old classic metal foot models than the Forge World resin counterparts. But, I mean, they're all awesome. I'll probably get some of the new ones eventually anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I um, Kylie brought some back from Articon last year for me, and, and I was never going to get them, but they, they do look really good. And I think they're probably what they originally wanted it to be. Like, they, they look, they fit in with the other ones, but the, the poses are a little bit better. The proportions are just a little bit different, and they, they do look the part. Certainly a little bit more realistic. No one could stand up under the weight of those helmets. Those wings are just too insane, but they look amazing. They look like, yeah, kind of uh, Warhammer Fantasy High Elves or something. They are yeah. very, very, very over the top. Uh, and quite conveniently, we've lined up our faction order so that I'm doing Rohan, yay, mm. uh, as, as a bit of a Rohan boy. Now, I've played this company in the last edition. I haven't given it a whirl in the new edition, but I'm fairly certain it's basically the same, except for a few 
passive changes that have occurred due to profile changes, which we'll get to in a sec. But we start out with a mix of Warriors of Rohan, a little bit more than Minas Tirith. We've got seven with an assortment of weapons, um, and automatically any hero models in this company gain the Horse Lord special rule, which is a little kind of bonus for playing Rohan. You don't have to upgrade that, you automatically come with it. Uh, your advancements are, of course, lots of excellent Rohan units. Your Warriors go up to Rohan Royal Guard. Uh, you can get access to Riders of Rohan with different equipment. Uh, and you can also get yourself some Outriders through the advancements, and then you get into the kind of uh, bigger, heavier-hitting reinforcements on your kind of special chart. They've got a dual chart for Rohan, your standard, and then if you roll a six, you can access some extra units. And this is where you get your Mounted Royal Guard and your Son of Earls. And the great thing about Rohan is if you spend your influence, get onto the special chamber, uh, special table, and get that five or six, you can start to choose what you want. So this company used to be insanely powerful because everyone would just save up their influence and then get either a 5 or a 6 uh, to access the Son of Earl, which in battle companies was way too overpowered. It starts with mm. Fight 4, 2 Attacks, Courage 4, Strength 4, um, but now, of course, the Son of Earl profile has been nerfed and is only kind of as combat effective as it used to be when it's near Earl the Young, the hero. So this company is much more balanced now, uh, which is definitely better for the game of battle companies and sad for all of the Son of Earl models I painted specifically for battle <laughs> companies. Um, but that's okay. I'll use them in a theme Rohan list uh, in an event later this year, so it's good. Um, so yeah, it's it's still a, a great list, so fast to get access to horses, they're the, one of the quickest mount-up companies ever, and Rohan is gorgeous and one of the best armies, so why wouldn't you want to play it? It's awesome. Oh, they they are phenomenally good. They look really good as well, but Battle Companies, is they, they shine in the, the normal game, they're, they're really good in the normal game, but in Battle Companies, their the disadvantages don't exist really. Like the spears, who cares? Because you're usually fighting one-on-one anyway, you don't need spears. Absolutely. Throwing spears are phenomenally good because, like, the best heroes, a throwing spear can usually take them down in one go. And you've got the horse charges as well. They are a scary company. They are a brilliantly looking company. They are a very good way to start. And the plastics are available. Everyone's got them as well. So they're, they're a good choice to start with. Yeah, they're definitely one of the fantastic companies for beginners because they can be really forgiving as well. I guess the only thing that sort of does balance them is like their warriors are, are some of the weaker warriors men of Rohan aren't the, like, the most effective obviously you're, you're stuck at the D4 and 5 because you don't have heavy armor so they can be a little bit soft but dude you just get horses so quickly it doesn't yeah. even matter <laughs> but even the basic ones can get a throwing weapon or a bow so you've got you've got some options to make them quite useful and a sh- the shield alone is a good piece of equipment to be able to sit there and go you know what I'm getting attacked I'm just going to shield and get myself an extra attack is good as well they've got they've got the options they're a good company. I, I do like that. I like that the basic cheapo everyone has access to companies are, are very playable as well because it gives everyone the option to, to get in at whatever level. If they want to go really narrative or really competitive, doesn't matter. It's their choice. Yeah, and that's one of the strengths of the system too is like if you're playing a company that has some kind of, you know, rarer, maybe even out of production metal models or whatever, if you roll that result, you can always just take a different result that's a bit lower on the table. And, and if, you know, you, everything is so friendly and it's all about, you know, playing with your mates. And if, if you don't have access to something and you can just agree with your mates to house rule, what can I take this instead? It's kind of an equivalent value or get a bit of extra influence and take a crapper guy or something like that. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good little system for, for players getting in. Yeah, I agree with that one. Now, I'm lucky as well. So you were happy about getting the Rohan list. I've got the Men of the West list. This is a new list where you get two two warriors of Minas Tirith. One has a shield, one has a spear shield. So you get your nice two-model shield wall. 
you get a couple of models from Rohan, so a shield and a throwing spear. So another little shield war, but with a different spear this time, one that, that goes and assassinates heroes. And then you get two Knights of Dol Aramoth that sit there back to back and, and defend. So you get six models, but from three different factions. And you get your upgrades are pretty limited. You've got your reinforcements of being the Rohan, the Minas Tirith, Men and Arms of Dol Amroth, or Knights of Dol Amroth. Uh, and your upgrades, though, you can get some Royal Guard in there. You can get some more Knights of Dol Amroth on a horse if you want, and Knights of Minas Tirith. So with the upgrades and advancements, you get a, quite a variety in this company. But your hero upgrade as well is interesting that it gets bonus when you need the faction. So if the hero has a Gondor keyword, they get one plus to their dual rolls, which is massive. If there's a friendly Rohan model within three inches, and then if they have a, the Rohan keyword, they get a bonus of one plus if there's a Gondor model. So you've got to team them up and intermix them, and that's a, a fantastic hero upgrade, nice and thematic, and and really a nice Blackgate-themed uh, Men of the West army. Yeah, this company is, like, really powerful. I, I was a tough choice. I really wanted to play either this, the Rangers, or one of the other new factions, which is the Wanderers in the Wild. But this is, it's so themey. It's so cool. When I look at this list straight away, I see five or six games down the line, all mounted, Rohan <laughs> units, Minas Tirith units, and Fiefdom units. Get the big hard-hitting Lance boys, get some Gondor Knights as well, and then get Royal Guard and Bows. Like, it's such a cool idea for for an army. So... Um, yeah, really themey and definitely really strong. You're getting fight four off the get-go with Knights of Dol Amroth. And then I think this is potentially one of the only battle companies where you can have throwing spears and normal spears. Yes. Um, so you can get supporting and the benefit of throwing spears. So, yeah, that's it's definitely a really cool faction and definitely one I'd like to run when we jump into our second edition of battle companies. Oh, all mounted. That's not thematic at all. You want to be on foot or just be surrounded by orcs at all times. That's how you'd play them thematically. That's true. That's very true. It wouldn't be thematic at all. That's my uh, gamey side coming yeah, out. Straight out, straight out. No, it's, we've all got that in us, I think, as well. Like You go for the theme, you think, oh, how brilliant does it look? And then straight away go, I could have horses on everyone and throwing spears on everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And then up next, we're, we're still in the land of good. We're heading over to uh, a related to Gondor faction, but uh, they stand alone in battle companies, and that is the dead of Dunharrow. Uh, now, the Army of the Dead is a really interesting faction in Battle Companies. We've had a lot of players playing them in our local leagues here in Queensland. I think in our Toowoomba League, that's about 16 players up in sort of three hours west of Brisbane, they had something like nine players or seven players playing Army of the Dead because the models are so accessible, mm. so available to everyone. Uh, this is one of the companies that starts with a low model number. You only get four warriors to start with, but of course they are warriors of the dead, so they're pretty hardy. Uh, and your reinforcements are pretty limited. You've just got more warriors and then, of course, the Piasta Resistance, which is Riders of the Dead getting some cavalry. Oh, yeah. um, so they've got access to unique war gear. They can buy ghosty horses, the spectral steeds uh, for their heroes. Um, and then they've got a couple of interesting special rules. So the first one is the Touch of the Dead, and that's if uh, with this hero strikes one or makes one or more strike against an enemy model, and that model is not slain, they must take a Courage test. Uh, if the test is failed, then in the following turn, the model is treated as being under the effects of the Transfix magical power. So it's sort of like the Bane of Kings um, that the uh, King of the Dead has, that he, they, except it, it's not an auto-kill, mm. it's like a Transfix. So it's kind of toned down, but still has that really nice theme for the Dead of Dunharrow. This company can be super, super effective. Uh, we've seen a lot of players absolutely dominating with it, but if you take early losses because you're such low model count, it can be hard to claw your way back. 
you've got low fight value across the board, but everything else is really good stats. And because everything starts as a hero, or three quarters you start as a hero, you can get some interesting paths going as well in combination. So it's it's an appealing company, but it's one that if it starts getting away with things, it can be a real nightmare to play against. Yeah, definitely. The one thing that obviously hurts them is they've got no access to ranged troops. But, I mean, you know, they're D8, so they can just run at everyone and, and kind of, you know, dictate the fight by when they get there. Definitely some drawbacks, but they're uh, a pretty a pretty cool faction to get some uh, spooky ghosts going um, and certainly fun to play. Mm, I'm actually a big fan of warbands with no no shooting, especially if I'm playing in a league with lots of new players, because I feel like the game's more interesting if people are getting into combat and maneuvering around, whereas if you're just standing back and you gun someone down, you can potentially get those games where you play two turns and I've shot you down and you've broken. So I, I like that. I like the combat lists. Yeah, honestly, it's kind of a drawback of playing Rangers. Um, obviously, we're playing Rangers in the latest campaign and with 100% bows. And, and I picked Rangers because I love the idea of an all-hero company. So I liked the kind of the, all the variety of testing out the different paths. And of course, it allowed me to go crazy with theme and get really into my heroes because I knew that they probably wouldn't die and theme them around the Rangers and Aragorn and Gandalf and Halberad and all that. But sometimes it really bums me out playing an all-shooty list because it sort of forces you to play kind of in a way that can be quite uninteresting there's been games where i've won on the second and third turn and it's really dull because you just you know the opponent does have a good time just being a pin cushion so i think that's a really good point jeremy particularly for leagues with new players that you know getting some uh some censorship on the the bow spam is, is certainly more fun but hey it can it can come back to buy you when you get four arm wounds and all of a sudden your company can't use <laughs> bows and they're all overcosted and can't do anything so you know it's it's got me back <laughs> we can all hope that happens Going by another shooting company, we've got Arnor, which is an interesting combination of the the very stout Warriors of Arnor, five of those, and then two Rangers. You can also get Hobbits, and they don't count towards your bow limit, so you can actually end up with a lot of bows in this one, but the Hobbits are, are not particularly uh, something to write home about. Not a lot of reinforcement options in this one. It's just the Warriors, Rangers, or the Hobbits, and they get a special rule for their army bonus upgrade that the hero passes the first courage test uh, it must take for their force being broken, which is really nice because you've got courage two across the board, except I think the hobbits might be even courage three. But uh, it's it's a very limited in choice company, but one that, that I know that people who like Arnold do a fantastic job with it. Lots of conversion opportunity and lots of uh, interesting stories behind it yeah i really love arnor um I, I ever since the kind of first supplement came out with the beautiful green and silver armor and the old classic metal models whenever i see them uh, on the market i always try and snap them up secondhand they're really great little models and yeah it's it's this is a nice company it's got a cool balance of theme it's definitely got some advantage that you can get a bit more shooting power but it's not something that you can kind of really actively game because it's so random you know, getting the Hobbit Archer, you pretty much got to rely on rolling a two or spending a lot of influence to access those extra bows if you really want to. So it's it's nice and balanced, but definitely very themey with the courage and and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, a cool a cool little company. Yes. Now we move on to your one. Ah, oh, yes. This is yeah. This is working out perfectly. I'm doing all of my own companies. So yes, the Rangers of the North, and I would say this is probably 
It's probably not the most overpowered company, although people would think that after watching the kind of first, like, five to ten episodes of our campaign, or any game with Rangers. Rangers, they're an all-hero company, they only start with four models. Uh, you get two Rangers of the North and two with Spears. Um, the downside is that you can only ever have ten models in your company, you don't have the normal 15 limit because you're all heroes. Uh, and they have a 100% bow limit, so everyone can have bows. So early on, this list is really powerful. You outshoot everything, and in battle companies at low models, all you've got to do is get a few kills with bows, and you've got a huge advantage. But the longer your campaigns go on, rangers really start to struggle because you've only got so much output damage uh, and the companies start to get a lot bigger than you uh, so it can get a bit tricky um, but they've got some amazing special rules to deal with that and uh, the first one is uh, their their ar army specific hero upgrade is called dangerous folk so if you get upgraded with this one special rule you gain woodland creature and additionally whilst the model's on on foot, they add one to their uh, attacks characteristics. So once you, it's, it's like a two for one deal. You won't, this only kind of changes your hero's costing by five points, but you get woodland creature and you go up to two attacks, which normally would cost 15 points. So uh, it's a really kind of great cost effective way to help balance the fact that every model in your company is uh, 25 or 30 points. Uh, the other thing that makes them insane early game is any time you're rolling on the reinforcement table, which costs you three influence, you're adding a hero. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, and, and it's a hero that is one will, one might, one fate, because that's baked into the unit profile. Whereas every other company is rolling and they're just getting a warrior, maybe a slightly better warrior if they roll well, and then the only way they access heroes is by getting upgrades on those heroes through promotions. So straight away you're getting access to lots of heroes, and because you're an all-hero company, and this is the fact that everyone underestimates, every single kill you make becomes experience. Mm. With warriors, they get capped. If, if they make three kills in a game, you only get one experience for making one or more kills. Well, heroes, though, they get an experience for every single kill. So that is hard-baked into this, and that's why they're so lethal, because you can have heroes that have leveled up like crazy. Yeah, I wish that warriors could get the the kill experience for every model as well. I don't see why they don't, because it's so rare that they turn into heroes anyway. So it, it's, it seems weird that they, they limit them that way. But this is a huge advantage, because every time you get an upgrade for your, or a promotion for your heroes you're getting an extra stat. It's just building and building and building. But you're right, your rating's going to go through the roof as well. So you're probably often giving your other opponent re-rolls and things. Yeah, I think of the first, like, ooh, probably six or seven games. Actually, maybe to this day, I don't think I've ever played a company larger in our campaign. I'm always giving away some influence. Um, so it's it, it can be quite fun having one of these kind of big power companies because it sort of accelerates your whole league because everyone gets a bit of experience off you, a bit of influence, sorry, and then you can all kind of buy your way in and get a bit bigger so it gets through the early phases. Yeah, it's you can also add horses to all of them as well. So you've got this company that potentially is one of the more powerful ones depending on how you're playing it and how you roll for your heroes. And I think it's one that I would probably leave to experienced players rather than, than beginners just because uh, you can get out of hand pretty quickly. You want to know what to do with them, but also you want to know when to, to be nice to people as well. You don't want to end up with a company that's so powerful that no one ever gets a game against you. Our next company is Lake Town, and this is one that, that is a big company. You have nine models to start with, three Lake Town Guard or heroes, and six militia with assorted weapons. You can go up to 20 models, which is big. And then you have advancements. You can just turn things into Lake Town Guard, which is 
is a bit of an advancement, I guess. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. The hero upgrade is really thematic. The hero can spend a point of might and give all friendly models one plus fight value to the end phase, which is really, really nice. And it's the master's rule with some use because in battle companies, moving up a fight value is really valuable. Yeah, I haven't played Lake Town a lot, either kind of competitively or in battle companies, but they have benefit. As we know, like, you know, we've seen J. Clare sort of dominate with them at, yeah, at yeah. different tournaments. Articon in 2018, their numbers is massive and their access to bows is massive. And just getting up to 20 models, there's not many companies that have that extra limit. It can be absolutely savage, particularly in battle companies. If you get your numbers early, then you can get so many bows early and it's absolutely lethal. Yeah, and, and if you get a good amount of heroes as well, you suddenly start getting the upgrades and they become good fighters. It can work quite well. You don't have the, the horses, which is can be a challenge, but they're, they're really good. Lake Town, uh, they're, they're good in pretty much all systems. They're surprisingly good. Numbers are good in, in the games that we're playing, and Lake Town have always got good stats. For some reason, they don't seem to be wearing a lot of armor, but they, they, got, they start off with decent defense for what they're doing. Basically, they're wearing Numenorean armor with just the hats. Yeah, I love the uh, I love the fact that they're like modeled as peasants, but then they're you know not like defense too. So, <laughs> it's, yeah, good yeah, little, yeah, uh, good good little balance there. Yeah, but they're they're a good fun one to play, and if you like Lake Town, this is a good way of starting because I imagine playing battle companies on Lake Town boards would be so much fun, and just having having whatever it is nine to to twenty models is a really good number and it gives them a lot of theme sometimes when you have fifty lake down militia on the table it sort of loses its like each of them is a, is a peasant fighting to help out their family type feel it just feels like an, an army that's so true that is this is this is a good a good kind of way to play them because yeah you, you really feel attached to each model in battle companies and, and and I guess in general that's a nice way for playing horde armies if you don't feel like running 120 goblins but you do like them and, and want to feel attached to them that's a really good thought Jeremy now uh, I'm a bit jealous you're moving on to one of my favorites next Oh yes, the Last Alliance, one of the themey companies of all. Uh, of course, we see uh, lots of the gorgeous old plastic, some of the oldest in the range, but they still hold up if you get them a nice enough paint job. Uh, mm. You start with uh, six models, uh, which is pretty good considering the models that you're getting. You get three High Elves and three Numenorians. So this is the lovely blend of Rivendell and Numenor. You're, uh, I guess, a bit limited in your reinforcements. You pretty much can just keep getting more of that wonderful shield wall that we see in the prequel of the Fellowship of the Ring, Warriors of Numenor and your High Elves. But they do have a pretty interesting army hero, uh, army-specific hero upgrade, which is Unrivaled Alliance. So if the hero is a man, they gain plus one to their dual roles, which is absolutely super powerful in battle companies. If there's a friendly elf within three three inches and if the hero is an elf they gain plus one to their dual roles if there is a friendly man within three inches so it sort of mirrors that flavor uh of the black gate themed army that we saw earlier and this is really kind of uh, kind of mixing up that theme of the the elves and the Numenor fighting together in, in one last alliance against Sauron so very themey and, and and very cool and it gives you a chance to paint up some really gorgeous models yeah, absolutely. And the nice thing about that one is they come on the one sprue as well. So you get to use that last alliance sprue that, that oftentimes you end up with, with four or eight models that you don't quite use. So having the having the plastics as your starting company is, is good. We move on to Erebor and Dale, which is another one we like. But this one, if you want to go out and buy it just for battle companies, you're in for a, a bit of a surprise because you're getting a lot of, of plastic box sets to get only a few warriors. You start off with some warriors of Erebor, 
uh, some warriors of Dale. So a bit of both. You have to have both in there. A total of uh, six models, which is not too bad. Some of your warriors of Erebor could turn into Grimhammers, and I love Grimhammers, and they've got better this edition as well. But that's another box that you want to buy, and of course you want to use it. Uh, your reinforcements are just what you're getting, so your, your Dale or your Erebor or your Grimhammers. Uh, you can get a pick hammer if you want to. And your hero upgrade is that you can re-roll results of a one on a duel, which is pretty useful across the board, but not nothing spectacular. If you get it, you're not going to be too upset. But once again, a nice thematic uh, little company. You probably get this if you have an Erebor or Dale army. You're not going to go out and get three plastic box sets just to play a battle companies for seven models. Yeah, certainly a, a bigger kind of outlay for getting into than uh, than some of our other companies. So yeah, I think you're right there. But this is for people who who already love their Dale and and love their Grim Hammers, which are so cool. They're great models, much better now as well, which is nice. Um, but I think the thing that's really cool about the army specific hero upgrades, the uh, you know the ACHUs as we like to call them, mm. um, is that they don't even have to be that good. They just need to be not completely useless because you never have to. Uh, you, you can use them to sub out for results that you don't like when you're rolling for heroes. So if you roll up a special rule that you're not interested, at any time you can swap and decide to take the army-specific hero upgrade instead for your heroes. So as long as they're better than some of those poor results, they're always going to be be a benefit. So even something small like re-rolling ones on the jewel roll is still a really useful benefit for them. Oh, absolutely. It's not useless at all. So up next, we've got some elves, our next elven company. And there are a few dotted throughout. And this mm. one is Lothlorien, the elves of the Golden Wood. And uh, we've got one of these companies running in our campaign. John absolutely loves his Lothlorien elves. Uh, and they can be quite powerful as well. They've got some interesting little synergies and a good range of troops. Uh, start away uh, Straight away in the starting battle company, we've got a mix of Galadrim and Wood Elves. Uh, so that kind of mix of high, hard-hitting defense. Hard-hitting, that's not an elven thing to say. Sorry. Hardy defense mm-hmm. with that uh, extra heavy armor. And then the Wood Elves who are quite soft but have all their own little bonuses with their spears and elf bows. Uh, they've got access to, you know, the kind of big mix of Galadrim elves and troops. You've got your armored Galadrim, your wood elves, and then, of course, some Guard of the Galadrim Court, bringing Fight 6 to battle companies, which is something that we really love. And, and some <laughs> Galadrim knights as well to bring in the cavalry, which is very important because it means they can horse up their heroes. Uh, they've got an interesting uh, army-specific hero upgrade, the Blessing of the Golden Wood. Each time this hero suffers a wound, roll a d6 on a 6 the wound is ignored exactly as if one point of fate has been spent, uh, which has an interesting effect. Obviously, it makes your heroes a lot more hardy, uh, and quite often it means that you're creating extra wounds for uh, your opponent who is fighting you because you're blocking more of them. I've had instances where I've been fighting one of John's heroes, and I've absolutely massacred the hero with four or five or six attacks, but because he has to roll his Blessing of the Golden Wood, he's <laughs> accidentally given me an extra three or four experience because I've overkilled him so hard. But often it's a very, very useful result. Um, But the other thing that is, of course, a huge boon for Lothlorien is they have access to Wood Elf Sentinels, which are really fantastic, powerful units. You have to kind of get through to their special reinforcement table and then roll a five or a six again, uh, which is the same way that you get at, you know, the special table has the knight and the Galadrim Court and the Wood Elf Sentinel. But, you know, some some really cool diversity of units. And those Wood Elf Sentinels, they're so cool. The, the Elven Madrigals, they're very, very fun. 
Yeah, that that special table is probably one of the best special tables in the game. We've got a local player, um, Chris, who plays Lothlorien, and the way he plays it, he makes it sound like it's the worst possible warband you could take. He's always, how am I going to win this? And I haven't won any games, and my heroes are rubbish. But you've got access to horses for everyone if you need it. You've got those pikemen with fight six. You've got sentinels that can move models around, and most things are pretty bad courage in battle companies. It's got bits of everything, and the only real downside is that your models are going to die at the speed of elves die if someone gets to them it's it's a really really good company but it's also one that that elves wandering elves are really good from a, a law point of view you can really model them up and have some story behind it as well yeah i think the the thing that like like a lot of these companies is it, it is powerful but it is quite balanced and if you take a few hard losses at the wrong sort of points through your battle company's journey it can be difficult to play with um and just because wood elves you know, are essentially making up half of your company quite often, is they're quite soft. So I guess it's kind of a bit of a glass hammer list in that it, it can go down if, if things don't go your way, um, but it doesn't have, like, the crazy output damage of some other elven lists, like we think of, uh, you know, Mirkwood, Thranduil's Halls. Um, so it can be tricky to play, but it's got all the tools. You just need to kind of really knuckle down and, and, and roll well on those injury rolls. <laughs> just roll well. Good. I like that. Good tactics for elves. Yeah, good advice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another elves we've got is Rivendell. This is for the players who, for some reason, don't like Numenor, which I can't imagine why they'll do that. The compensation for not taking Numenor, which has got to be pretty low, to be honest, is you can get Rivendell Knights, which yeah, I guess you could find some use out of that. You can get horses <laughs> for your heroes. I guess you could find some use out of that and some story behind it. Uh, and you get a Noldorian fighting style where you do not suffer a penalty for using elven-made hand-and-a-half weapons as a two-handed weapon, which is a great choice for elves and definitely one that you would be keen to take at times because the one thing elves lack is the hitting power of their, their combat. So to be able to use your blades at full effectiveness is a real boon. Yeah, particularly when you've got uh, like such easy access to spears so you can be stacking extra attacks with your heroes and giving them that ability to uh, absolutely... Uh, Savage, after they've won the fight with those extra dice, then they can come through with their attacks and do that big heavy hit. Like you say, the, the eternal elf problem is the fact that they can't do any damage and they can't kill anything. Um, so yeah, Noldering fighting style uh, is certainly a really cool rule for Rivendell. Much better than their normal army bonus in normal uh, Middle-earth SPG. <laughs> yes, more interesting anyway. Uh, so up next, well, our, uh, our run of elves continues. We've got them all in a row, which is convenient. We've got the Halls of Thranduil. Mm. Uh, now, you know, the Mirkwood models are some really interesting models. We've got quite a few players here uh, up in the Brisbane scene that love Mirkwood. Pat Matriga is one of them. Uh, and we've got uh, a good mix of interesting start. We've got some uh, some Mirkwood elves with different weapons, including the Glaive, which is something that's really cool and, and native to this company. We've got a Mirkwood Ranger in there as well, which are quite powerful uh, in battle companies. A little overcosted in normal Middle-earth SPG, but very cool units. Uh, in terms of our advancements, we've got some interesting... Interesting, uh, interesting options. We can bring in the Palace Guard, uh, and when we can easily bring in a few more Rangers by upgrading our normal troops. And then we've got access to Cav uh, as kind of the big takeaway from the reinforcement table, and then just lots of kind of Mirkwood Elves, uh, a few Palace Guards and Rangers. So there's not a massive variation, but there's definitely uh, not as limited as some companies, kind of uh, right in the middle there. And of course, you've got access to the Glaives, mm. a nice piece of custom war gear, and lots of access to horses. So the Protect Our Borders, uh, army-specific hero upgrade. Uh, it's certainly not the best of the special rules. Essentially, the hero always counts as having rolled a 6 for any leap, jump, or climb 
climb test. So on paper, it doesn't look anywhere near as strong as like plus one fight value on the charge or, you know, the many others that are really kind of obviously combat effective. But I find that it can be quite useful in battle companies because you're often playing with uh, boards that have so much terrain. We love to stack a lot of verticality into our mm. battle companies terrain because often you don't see that in SBG. So sometimes we use big multi-level Dogaldua towers with crumbling stairwells and that sort of thing. So in situations, it can be pretty epic to know that that elven hero can always make that jump, get the six, and keep charging. Uh, so it, it can be quite situationally effective. Oh, I think it's amazing. I, just the, to know that, okay, I've got a hedge in my way. I'm going to get right through that hedge, and I'm going to go my full six inches and charge you it is huge because normally you just get stuck on those. To be able to jump over a little chasm or a, a, some deep water or something like that it, to, onto a boat is fantastic. To be able to climb up a wall, there's there's so many good options for that one, and I think you can start playing around it as well and having a little like a Pathfinder elf that's going to go around and, and get wherever it wants to be is really nice. A Merkle Ranger that can just go and dance and ch- charge two guys and get some extra attacks is... That's cool. Yeah, I like and I, I love the idea of combining it with one of the paths, Jazz. That's a great idea. Getting it really themey, chucking it on, like, you know, getting one of those ignores terrain upgrades through one of the paths. I think that might be Scout. Um, and, uh, yeah, you could go you could go really crazy and really lean into the whole theme of Thranduil's Halls that way. Yeah, I think that would be fun. I also think the Iron Hills would be fun because you, you start off with five dwarves, which is not a huge amount. But this one has access to goats, and everyone knows that dwarves on goats are scary, scary models. They look great, and they're some of the nicest models in the range. You can convert them up. They always have examples of really nice converted ones in the Battle Company's publications. Uh, They've got a pretty average hero upgrade where you get to reroll wounds of ones when making strikes against orcs, goblins, and orakai. So pretty situational, that one. But you've got a nice range of troops. You've got Maddox, which are okay. You've got crossbows, which are great. You've got spear and shield, which are great. And goat riders, so many goat riders. Yeah, Iron Hills goats, they're pretty awesome. You're right, they're such gorgeous models. I've, I haven't got any, like I said, I haven't got many of the Hobbit models, but Iron Hills, they look really fantastic, uh, really lovely models. Of course, converting them always sort of feels a bit painful because they're such expensive models, but um, yeah, would be a, a very brave soul to go cutting up Iron Hills dwarves. Uh, but yeah, they're def- definitely, definitely really effective in, in battle companies as well. We're continuing with the Dwarven theme with our next one, jumping into Durin's Folk. I think they've put them by race, haven't they? Elves, 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 dwarves, dwarves, dwarves. Yeah, there we go. There's, uh, there's, I'm glad you yeah, there's, there's method yes, to this madness, yes, five companies after the pattern. Um, so we're starting off with just some normal classic Dwarven warriors. Uh, we get access to Khazad Guard, which are, of course, absolutely fantastic. And you've got a little bit of extra spice coming in with your Vault Warden teams uh, further down on the special reinforcement table. Uh, they have got the exact same special rule as uh, the Iron Hill, so just re-rolling once against Orcs, Goblins, and Urukai. Look, the Durin's folk definitely aren't the most powerful company, but I really like playing them. I've played a few games with this company because I love breaking out all the old metal dwarf models. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like mm. the new plastic kits that came out, or I want to say like maybe 2007 or something. I like the original release dwarves from like 2003, 2004. Um, the kind of the big metal blister ones. And because you don't need 
many models you can really go to town painting them and doing them up nice so they're a really a fun themey choice and you get you get dwarf rangers with longbows as well so you've got a little bit of bow power and Khazad guard are certainly no slouches so something that's certainly really fun especially if you can get those vault wardens and get some spears in there uh, and have a nice ratio of spears to normal troops which you don't often experience in battle companies can certainly be really fun I wonder how you... Does a Vault Warden become a hero? That, that'll be tricky to work out. Um, I guess it's a team, but it'll be individual models, so maybe the Shield Bearer will become a hero or the Spearman will become I think, a hero. I think that what we nasty. did last time was we just randomised it each time one of our members' companies, because we have had a couple of people run Durance Folk, and I'm pretty sure we just did a 50-50 roll-off to see if it was the Shield or the, the guy with the Foe Spear, because um, you definitely couldn't have both of them going up to hero. That would be insane. Um, but yeah, I think that's what we did. Yeah, I wonder if you just treat them as two parts of your roster i guess you would because it's two models so yeah i don't know it's something something to discuss with your local group it doesn't really matter what you do as long as everyone's on the yeah, same that's page definitely the best way to go about all battle company stuff yeah just make it up as you go the mario expedition is the dwarf combination of rangers and the old metal models that you're talking about not the plastics of course uh you get the the rangers which are not too bad they're not the best models in the the world but they're okay so this is a low defense Dwarf Army, but you get the Iron Guard, which are your two attack throwing weapon dwarves, which would be phenomenal in battle companies. Um, once again, you get a Vault Warden team, but only one this time. You can't go and get like five Vault Warden teams. You've only got the one potential, but the Iron Guard, uh, really nice choice. You've got the long range shooting with the, the Dwarf Rangers. You've got throwing axes across the board, so you can say you give all your heroes throwing axes if you wanted to, which is a good option. Um, and you've got the Moria Expeditionary, which is a Dwarf Ranger, but doesn't suffer a penalty for moving half its range as well. So you've got a special troop type that they've invented just for this. you got the same boring hero upgrade where you can reroll ones against Orcs, Goblins, and Urukai. Yeah, I love this whole Moria Expedition thing. I've only played the Durance Folk uh, Company in the kind of second edition of Battle Companies. and haven't played Dwarves since this uh, company came out. And if I played it, this would absolutely be how I'd run Dwarves. I'm a big sucker for Balance Reclamation and that whole kind of world. I've written lots of different uh, kind of narrative chains and stuff on, on that. All the wonderful adventures that they had in Moria. Uh, so there's lots of fun to be had here. I love the theme. But also there's a lot of fun kind of playing synergies that you don't get to often experience with dwarves i love the fact that you can keep your rangers on the move and counter their low movement uh and still being able to put output damage it's with their longbows it's it's definitely really fun and you don't even lose access to khazard guard they're just a lot more difficult to get because they're not on your advancement chart they're just on your reinforcement and you do get uh like jeremy said the limited vault warden so we this is the the first time we've seen this i think uh which is the rare kind of system so in in this mm. new edition in third edition there's some companies that have restrictions it'll say rare one rare two rare three and that's how many of that result you can get and if you roll it again you just have to pick lower uh, i think we see it a bit later with some barrow whites not barrow whites so dead marsh specters and a few other select models so that you can't kind of spam yourself a company of insanely powerful units so yeah very fun and very <laughs> themey something i'd really like to play at some point yeah yeah that would be fun they're all fun like the, the hardest thing about this is choosing one because there's so many good options and they're all so accessible. So, oh, cool, paint six models in a way. Yeah, it's really tough. The first thing I did when the new book came out was I, I sat down in the workshop and I just wrote up like six companies and then played them against myself for like eight hours into the late night trying to decide what I would finally play <laughs> in, in our campaign. And uh, yeah, it was it was tricky. There's too many fun things, man. And, and it's so easy because it's like you only need a handful of models and off you go. It's good fun. 
Oh, so we got some hobbits now. The Shire, uh, another one that has some access to a bigger company size. This time, of course, hobbits aren't the most effective combat monsters, but you do get access to a maximum size of 25 company members. I think this is equal biggest or maybe the biggest. I can't remember how many mm. Goblin Town get. They might get 20 or we'll see a bit later on. Essentially, you start with a whole bunch of hobbits, eight militia and four archers. Uh, your advancement options are very simple. You can upgrade militia to battle and brandy bucks and your hobbit archers up to Tookish hunters for a few better stats. And your reinforcements are very classic. You just get militia, archers, sheriffs, or two militia, or choose any two hobbits. So it's a pretty simple table. It's essentially spam hobbits. Start going to the uh, appendices of Return of the King and looking up all those hobbit names from the uh, the various charts you've got there because you're going to need a lot of naming to do. Uh, but they do have a pretty interesting little special rule, which is um, the hero and all models from their battle company within six inches may re-roll failed courage tests. So pretty little... Uh, in- it's called For the Shire, of course. For the Shire! Uh, mm. So a nice little themey, uh, themey upgrade, and they've got some unique war gear as well, which is ponies! You can put your leaders on ponies for uh, two influence points, which is very, very fun. And you definitely do that, I think, because just getting something that can move a bit faster if you need to is always fun, and, and it gives you it gives you that centerpiece model Yeah, as they well. look really fantastic. I've currently got the four Hobbit heroes primed, sitting on the painting bench, waiting to go, sitting on their ponies. It's a shame that they got a little bit nerfed. I think the ponies have to take a courage test now every time they want to charge, right? Which wasn't in the last uh, main rules yes. edition, but... Um, it's probably a little bit, more, bit, a little bit more reflective of their uh, fear of combat. <laughs> All right, look, I like that because that was the original rules, and then it sort yeah. of disappeared, and ponies became war horses, and then they became back to being ponies. So I quite like it. Shire across the board is always a powerful, and we talked about numbers before, but these are these are a powerful group, and they've got lots of new units in the scaring the Shire Very book, true. so they're fine. This one, battle companies, you might end up providing lots of kills for people at times, but at times you're just going to go nuts with your rocks and start ripping people apart. So it swings around about yeah, that's that the one. other thing you've got to think about is every single Hobbit model can pick up a bloody stone. And in battle companies, imagine running to a Hobbit line and just taking, you know, 15, yeah. 16 shots from all these Hobbits plus your bowmen. That could be savage at such a low model count. They're all hitting on 3+, plus, right? All Hobbits shoot value. So, yes, yeah, cracky. Ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> Yeah, just having a turn where they, they knock out one or two of you guys then, and then you, you end up attacking their line with, with half the models as well. Like they they become really good at combat yes, at that point. Yes, get stacked those attacks. I mean, th- that's one of the core fundamentals of the middle-earth strategy battle game is if you can get multitude of attacks, it, it hugely changes the odds of fights and, and, and the fight mechanics. So, yeah, hobbits can really come into their own. Yeah, yeah. And it, things like having clubs and fight three around and that sort of stuff give you lots of options and some fun things in there. But... The probably the best warband, the one that everyone's most excited about in the good side is also the last one, conveniently. The Wanderers in the Wild, because you get one Hobbit as well, and a whole bunch of other friends. You get some Dwarf Rangers, one with two-handed axe and one with throwing axes. You get some Wood Elves, a Wood Elf and a one with a bow, and you get some Rangers of Gondor as well. So this is one where it's the classic mix, mix and match some some equipment. So lots of the heroes end up with throwing weapons, throwing daggers, throwing axes, two-handed axes on elves you get all kinds of fun things and you can have up to 50 percent of bows which people often do because you start with a lot of them and this one is another one of those warbands that gets the dreaded sentinel so rare one sentinel you can get some dwarves you can get some rangers and some other things but the sentinel 
Big, reinfor- big reinforcement limitation, though. Only ever one Hobbit militia at a time. So you get real Lord of the Rings type story. And your hero upgrade, away from prying eyes, you can get the Stalk Unseen special rule. So for an army with lots of throwing weapons and, and things, to be able to hide behind terrain and not be seen is nasty as well. These Wanderers in the Wild are the terror of our local scene. They just rip things apart, machine gun them down. You get close, out comes the Raven, and the Dwarves go to town on you. Yeah, this this is by far the most powerful company in the book. Um, just the the, vers- the versatility <laughs> of the list, your access to all the various combinations, like Jeremy said, switching up you know Dwarven weapons on Elves and vice versa, getting throwing weapons everywhere. They are so powerful. We don't have anyone running them in our campaign, but I've I've played uh, one of our, our local members, Cambo, loves to run them in our kind of more local scene, and, and they're absolutely savage. They just, you know, you've got the hardiness of dwarves, or at least, you know, dwarf rangers. They're still pretty solid. you got men, you've got elves, you've got a little hobbit there, you've got the flavor of everything. Yeah, very, very, at least I was very drawn to and nearly played instead of my rangers because I love the idea of the theme and the versatility, but they're so powerful, my goodness. Like all battle companies, it depends on how you go with terms of your roles and how your heroes go. But the fact that you're starting with pretty much everyone with above average fight value, above average courage, all kinds of war gear options, and a good number as well. It's not like you're being sabotaged in numbers of models. It can be a really nasty one. And once again, I don't think if you're an experienced player, this is the best choice for you because it's that same gun line type idea where you can potentially knock people down before they even get close to you. We'll be back for some evil. We're back. So the first of the evil battle companies now, and with which is quite a large number of companies, isn't it? This must be oh, nearly Very somewhere huge. in the teens by now. There's quite a lot in this book. Uh, so we're at the halfway mark, and we're into Mordor, the uh, the evilest battle company of them all. Now Mordor, it, it gets a bit of a mixed rap. Obviously, for those of you who are following the battle companies campaign we have on the channel, our Mordor <laughs> player Jacko, I think we must be 15 or 16 games in by now, and he. He still hasn't won a game. He's been having a bit of a tough time. Uh, and it's, it's uh, on paper, Mordor is actually a really powerful company. The problem is that all you start with is chaff. Uh, you get just Mordor orcs with shields and with bows, and so they can struggle a little bit early on, uh, but you've got an incredible kind of roster that you've got access to. Uh, you can access Orc Trackers, Warg Riders, Mogul Stalkers, Mordor Urukai, Blackguard of Baradur, and Black Numenorians, all incredible units with great profiles. Yeah. And your advancements, all your normal Mordor Orcs can get upgraded to Moranans. You can upgrade to Warg Riders, Trackers, Blackguards. You can get Black Numenorians into Mogul Knights. So you've got a really powerful roster here. What you have to do early game is try and leverage your numbers 
such that you can get those early wins and get that influence and then try and save up your influence and bank it so that you can bring in heavier hitting units. They've got a really interesting um, uh, upgrade as well, which is Orcish Brawler. If this hero is outnumbered during a fight, then they gain a bonus of plus one to both their fight and attack values, which is really fun because it kind of encourages you to be sort of reckless and orcish with your heroes. Just charge your heroes on into a couple of different guys. They stack up their attacks. Um, and you know, once you've got like a two or a three attack hero, and then you charge him into two guys or even three guys, and then he gets another attack and another fight value. Uh, it's it, they're yeah, really, really, really powerful if you can get them going. That's a really good rule because when my heroes, oftentimes, um, I'll reveal what I play in a moment, but oftentimes I just get a shielding hero and I run into two powerful models and I just hope. So I shield and I hope, I hope, I hope I can survive. Hope my fate will hold them up while the rest of my company does some work. And to have that hero doesn't have to shield. They just get the one plus attacks and their fight value. They could also shield on top of that as well and go to like potentially three plus or more attacks and extra fight value. You've got someone that can hold up a huge amount and help you out. And um, I guess that helps out that you can only have 15 models. So you've got orcs, which normally their advantage is the numbers. This one, you start off with a good amount, but uh, you're not going to max out. But you get some really fantastic options. And orcs are nothing to, to sneeze at. They, they can hold their own. Yeah, I think the, the 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 mistake is trying to play the model horde too long. You've definitely got to start going elite pretty quickly because, like you said, there is no extra kind of model limit. They've still fifteen, and if you've just got fifteen normal orcs versus other companies who are leveling up their guys, you can get left behind. So yeah, you you got to go elite pretty quickly. Get yourself some cav. Uh, make sure that you don't leave them in range of elven snipers, Jacko, uh, and then uh, and try and get them in combat. Uh, and then, yeah, go elite. Go elite. Go quickly. Yeah. Now, the the next one is a Kirithungal and also an Orc one, but this one comes with the Mordor Urukai, three of them in there, which probably start off as your heroes, to be honest. You can't, You get five Orcs with that. Your reinforcements are the Orcs, the Mordor Urukai, and the giant spiders. So you can get almost a, a Shelob-type list going. Then you've got advancements, so you can get mortar orcs with bows to trackers, which it's questionable whether that's an advancement or not, but it's a bit of fun to it. It's probably a bit of a, a lateral movement as much as anything. And you've, your hero is that uh, if your hero is an orc, they get one plus to wound whilst two inches of a friendly urukai. If the hero is an urukai, they get a bonus of one plus to wound within two inches of a friendly orc. So once again, not the best rule, but not useless either. And your spiders get a, a hero spider. You get them bloated where on a five plus they ignore a wound which is pretty nasty as well yeah i really love Hero the spiders, theme that's pretty scary. i really love the theme of like the orcs and urukai you know obviously kirathungal but also the fact that the giant spiders are no rare limit they're just like you can have as many giant spiders as you want is like super cool and the fact that they're allowed to be upgraded to heroes and get the the hero special rule imagine having like you know a, a giant spider that picks up a relic and carries that off the board to get promoted to hero and then starts going crazy on the upgrade charts. Like, that's that would be some crazy combinations to experiment with. And the scary part about that is it's actually not that hard to roll them. Like, a six on the standard chart means that you go in with three for the influence and then a couple spare influences, and you're getting it more often than you're not, which is... Yeah, that, that that's a scary yeah, little Yeah, very band. true. Uh, we've got a bit more of that kind of Mordor area, geographically. Uh, we're into uh, another kind of stronghold mm. of Mordor, which is, of course, Minas Morgul. Uh, this is actually one of my favourite evil lists. I really love the theme. I love Black Numenorians, and I love Minas Morgul. You start off with six Orcs, Shields, Spears, Bows, uh, and two Black Numenorians off the bat, which is pretty great, because you've got Fight 4, you've got Courage 5, I think, for Black Numenorians. 
uh, and they also cause terror, which is awesome. Might be Courage 4. I think it's Courage 4. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I just remember we always get it wrong with Jacko. We run away. He's Black Numenorian when he should have stayed. So I think it's 4, not 3. Um, and then we've got advancements here. You can upgrade your Orc Bows to Orc Trackers. But the big one is you can upgrade your Black Numenorians to Morgul Knights. Get access to that cavalry. Ooh, and you've got scary. an interesting little reinforcement table. Some generic Orcs on the normal table, but your special table gets really interesting. Morgul Stalkers, which are, of course, the low defense but two attack uh, Mordor Orcs with a few kind of extra special elements. Then Black Numenorians, which is great. And then Deadmarsh Spectres on Rare 3. So you can get up to three Spectres, which are just super awesome, which is why I love them, because I love Spectres. Uh, and uh, their only kind of caveat is that they can't gain experience and can't become a hero. So they get stuck at Warrior State, but that's fine. And then the other thing, which is one of the best special rules... Uh, in the entire battle companies, I think, which is each time this hero inflicts an unsaved wound on an enemy model, roll a d6 on a 4+, plus, that model suffers an additional wound, and you can still use fate on it. So that's pretty great, because every time you're wounding, 50% of the time, you're slashing through and dealing extra wounds, which just makes your heroes, who are going to be Black Numenorians at fight 4, really killy. So we move from Mordor onto Isengard. And this one is basically Isengard Scouts to start with. So this is a really nice theme as well. You can advance them to Warriors, so you get a bit of a defense bonus, some pikes, some crossbows, so it's the mixture. The special chart, you've got the Feral Urukai and the Urukai Berserkers. So there's your, your really good value, high fight value, high attack models. And your hero upgrade is You Shall Taste Man Flesh. So the hero gets a 1 plus to wound when making strikes against men, which are pretty common... It's sort of situational like the dwarf ones, but I feel like there's enough men in the game that, that you get that occasionally. And you get some special war gear, Urukai Grog. The hero can use it at the start of any game. You remove it from the hero's profile, so throw it away, drink it all. Every model in the battle company may reroll a single D6 or make you a dual roll for the duration of that game. So it's a pain to keep track of, but fantastic. It's almost a banner effect for your whole company once per game. Wow, that really is a nightmare to track. I haven't read that in ages. That would be, oh, yeah. that would be. You have to, I guess, just tick them off on your chart each time it uses it or something. You could, you could work it out. But yeah, I. You need a grog token. Yeah, a grog on token. Chart. That's yeah. a good idea. Uh, yeah, Isengard are a great company. Lo- lots of versatility. Get access to those uh, berserkers and feral uruks. Uh, can you still get access to crossbowmen? Yeah, only through advancements though. You can't roll yes. them up on the chart anymore. Uh, so a little change from the last edition. Um, no, no, you can, because you've got, um, on a five, you can get Urukai oh, Warriors. Oh, choice of weapon, choice of, of course, weapon. and crossbows are choices of weapons. So there you go, still accessible. It's a weapon, it's yeah, a choice, yeah, yeah. very, very strong company. And we're staying in Isengard land for our next company, which is, of course, bringing in uh, the mighty Cav, which Isengard lacks, and that is the Warg Riders. You can go all Sharku here in the Warg Rider company. You start with two Wild Wargs. Uh, two Wild Riders with Shield and a Wild Rider with Orc Bow. Um, your advancements are pretty much only promoting your Wild Wags to become Wild Riders. Uh, and then, of course, your reinforcement table is just built around a whole lot of Wags, a whole lot of Wild Wags. So it's uh, it, it's very kind of, you know, uh, one-dimensional, but that dimension is Wags, so not really too much of a drawback. Uh, it's got an interesting uh, little army-specific hero upgrade, which is Vicious Battle Scars. The hero model's mount, or the hero... It's, or the mount itself, if the uh, hero is a wild wag, causes terror, uh, which is very fun, getting a little bit of terrifying wag action. Mm, yeah, oh, terror wags are scary wags, yes, absolutely. This company is is really, really good. It, it's 
it, it takes its knocks early on because it doesn't have a lot of models, but once it starts getting a few more and some more riders and some hero riders, oh, a nightmare to face. Yeah, having one. cavalry mounted from your first couple of games is definitely pretty savage. Yeah, and the throwing weapons now. Throwing weapons are really yeah, I'm good. I'm so happy with the improvement of kind of going back to the uh, the old school rules of, of not having that minus one penalty uh, when you're hurling into combat as yes. you charge in. Definitely, definitely awesome. Now we move on to an area of Middle-earth that is one of my favourites, Dunland. People know that, listeners know that, but I'm going to go through and just talk about the photos here because I'd like you... Do you have your book with you, Lockheed? I do. It's right in front of me. Okay, let me just talk you through this. I can guarantee that the picture on the left was taken before the picture on the right because we have a two-handed axe wildman sitting there. Now, if you look closely at this axeman, he's under the weather in the second photo. The first photo, his axe looks nice and clean. It doesn't have a chip on it. His cloak looks nice. And then it looks like he's been taken a, a fall of some kind because the paint on his axe has been entirely rubbed off and he's front and center of the next picture. Oh, my goodness. You're so right. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit. Yeah, he's, he's, so he's lost some paint. He's lost some paint off his shoulder. I think this is indicative of what the current Middle-earth team thinks of Dunland at the moment. It's a really shame that they, they just throw the models on the ground and not too worried about them at all. <laughs> yes, I imagine that uh, these particular models uh, got very busy doing some photo shoots for the War in Rohan supplement that we are now aware of. Uh, but, of course, the Wild Men also uh, did a bit of work in, for the Shire too. So, uh, yes, definitely they've had a bit of a battering in the, in the studio there. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to have to track Chip Wildman and see how he goes in the, the new supplement because I, I, I think he'll show up and I'm pretty sure he probably won't have a new paint job as well. So so that, that big chip on his axe and on his shoulder, I think is going to stay there and he'll become a bit of a Dunlin folklore, see how may, maybe he'll get a big chip off his face next time or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not even a subtle chip either. That's like a huge <laughs> chunk of paint missing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we uh, we we know that the the Middle Earth uh, guys have their kind of collection of various uh, setups and displays on at Warhammer World, and uh, one of the guys uh, here in Brizzy was pointing out to me that uh, each time a new supplement's been announced, particular displays have gone missing in the months leading up for uh, for photo shoots for that supplement, of course. Uh, and it happened for Gondor at War, all the Gondor stuff disappeared, happened for the Shire, all the Shire stuff got pulled out of display, and of course all the Rohan stuff disappeared about two months ago uh, uh, to, be, to, to be doing more photo shoots for War and Rohan. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to keep our eyes on uh, what disappears from the cabinet, but obviously on the way from the cabinet to the photo shoot, poor Mr. Dunland got a bit dropped. <laughs> well, on the way from Dunland to Sharky's Rogue, so maybe it was an initiation on the way to the, the Rogues where... The, the exact same, whatever it is, three or four wildmen, the only ones that they own, uh, cop some damage. So I think, I think Jay, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not, get out your paints and just quickly quickly uh, fix that up for me. That would be really good. No, no, I disagree. We can't. We, we have to track his progress. Let's keep him chipped forever. He can be like <laughs> no! this this little little ongoing story of uh, of the chipped wildmen. I guess we can sort of tell from his grey highlights. We'll be able to keep track of him, but be interesting we'll to be see a, him. And because they only own like four of them as well, we'll be That's able to true. Tell. Don't worry They are the that. only painted Dunlin that they own in the studio, obviously. Yes. <laughs> and half painted now. So Dunlin, fantastic that Dunlin's arrived. They are probably a challenging warband, if I'm honest. You get the Dunland Warriors, which are okay. Uh, you get uh, four of those to start with, with some weapons, and four Wildmen of Dunland. Interestingly enough, they don't came, come with a two-handed axe to start with, so uh, they wouldn't have a legal warband at the studio. They would have to proxy it a little bit. But later on in an advancement, you can become a Dunland Warrior with a choice of weapon. You could buy the two-handed axe later on if you wanted to. Your Frenzy Fighter Hero Upgrade is that if you suffer a wound, five plus is ignored, which is just a nice rule. It's always useful. 
but a, a pretty stock standard uh, warband and not particularly numerous either. So you get a low fight value, 15 models. They're going to be a challenge. So they, they're good for experienced players who want to have their old collection of Dunland and want to show off to new players. Yeah, Jeremy's absolutely being generous here. These aren't a challenge. This company is rubbish. It's it's very <laughs> tough. It's very tough to play. There has been some fan-made Dunlin companies that have been circulating since, like, the first edition of Battle Companies, and they had some really great special rules. One of them was Death to the Strawheads, uh, which was the army-specific upgrade uh, or hero upgrade that we could have applied here, which is that the heroes of Dunland who had that special rule got benefits against fighting against cavalry. So, like, you know, plus extra attack so I think it was that they uh, cavalry models who charged them didn't get their normal cavalry bonuses which kind of represented that Dunland are so used to fighting Rohan that those particular Dunland heroes were sort of veterans of campaigns against Rohan and I thought that was a really cool themey special rule and really gave Dunland a bit of an edge uh, but um, I mean this kind of frenzied fighter rule it's okay it's it's not too bad it's it's sort of themey but I think they could have gone a bit more hardcore with theme uh, and also like, they should have a, a cap of 20 people. I don't know why they have a normal cap size. Their units are not particularly good, and they have, like, very little access to special troops or elite troops or cavalry. So, yeah, they're really tough to play. They should have had 20 models, and they should have had better special rules. Then they'd kind of be a bit more balanced. Yeah, I think we're just going to have to wait till we get the, the War in Rohan, and they bring Dunland up to Rohan level, so we get all kinds of upgrades, bonuses on the charge, bonuses to fight value unbreakable models, thousands of heroes, 20 yeah. minor game. It's going to be amazing for Dunland, and then our battle companies will become good. I'm so excited. Like, Dunland Cavalry, Dunland Huskars, Dunland Purebloods, bring back all the old War of the Ring profiles for all the different Dunland models. Oh, it's, it's yeah, exciting. Dunland Trolls, so Dunland Chariots. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Oh, Dunland that's Dragon. right, the Chariot. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, cool. Oh, it's going to be good. Not a um, letdown at all. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be good. Let's hopefully, we won't hype it up to ourselves. Um, up next, we've got Sharky's Rogues, which is another interesting company. Uh, you start with three ruffians, two ruffians with whip, another one, uh, two ruffians with bow, sorry, another one with whip, and then three wild men of Dunland. So the wild men <laughs> make an appearance here as well, as we discussed. Uh, their, their special rule is strength in numbers, and yet they have no additional uh, quantity, so that's stupid. They, they've got a company size of 15, even though all their units are terrible. Uh, if the hero is involved in a fight where there are more friendly models than enemy models, the hero gets a bonus of plus one to wound, which would have been awesome if they could have accessed real numbers potential, which they can't. Uh, their reinforcements is just extra ruffians, extra Dunland wild men, and you can also get some orc warriors. Uh, which is an interesting little kind of flavor choice. So, yeah, cool and themey, <laughs> but, like, again, completely not competitive. You, you know when your best result is getting an orc with a shield that, that you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. And also, you know you're in trouble when you're happy that you've got that model and you're like, yes, yeah. this is better than all my other troops. <laughs> you're like, oh, do I spend extra two influence just to get that orc? I think I do. I think I have to. <laughs> Even the ruffians rule now where they're like, fight two and then they... They're wearing the same armor as Lake Town, but for some reason the defense three instead of Numenorean armor. It's it's oh, this is once again if you're an experienced player and you want to give yourself a bit of a, a handicap, by all means take the Sharky's Rogues. Uh, you do get a bonus against Hobbits to to wound or or no fight value against Hobbits, but oh man, this is oh obvious. that's true because that's built into the ruffian profile. Isn't that's it? in their profile now, yeah, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. a decrease in their profile. Yeah, true. 
Okay, we move on to Moria. So this is definitely not an underpowered faction by any stretch of imagination. First thing, you can get up to 20 models, which you probably should have for the last couple. But Moria, fair enough. You start with 11. So this is one of the biggest, probably the second biggest starting companies you're going to find. You get access to a troll if you want for 15 influence. Now, we talked about this before. I think it's any number of trolls isn't it it, it says it is yeah so it, a moria battle company may hire a cave troll it doesn't say one cave troll it says a cave troll so if you can bank your influence and play against my rangers enough times to save it all up you can buy as many cave trolls as you can afford yeah now it, i guess it comes down to is a implied singular probably not but it's kind of possible that maybe that was what was considered but go ahead, take some more trolls if you want to at the moment. That's fine. Up to 20 trolls, no problem. <laughs> I would I would definitely allow that. That would be great fun. <laughs> <laughs> it would be funny, yeah. And they tend to get it quite quickly because you go up against these higher ranking companies. Moria tends to stay pretty low because uh, the Warriors are so cheap and they don't often get upgraded that quickly because they're not doing a whole bunch of killing. So y- you do get that access to the troll. And the troll doesn't gain experience, I don't believe. So he stays at expensive, but he stays there. You get access to some good models, though. Prowlers and Black Shields are both good choices and good upgrades. They're advancement upgrades as well. So that's really helps you out. And you get a Treacherous Leader as a hero upgrade. Uh, if you suffer a wound in combat that would result in being slain, roll it to a D6. On 2+, plus, the hero can basically get someone else to take the wound, which is pretty handy. Dude, that is awesome. I have never read that. That is an awesome special rule. Yeah, <laughs> very nice. Uh, we haven't played anyone who's running Moria in our little scene, and that is that is an absolutely savage rule. Very cool. Very cool indeed. A very themey, getting grabbing his orc friend and just sticking him in the way of the arrow or the blade. Very cool indeed. Yeah, and look, the Prowlers are pretty solid as well. You've got throwing weapon access, so you can give your heroes throwing weapons. The Black Shields have good defense and uh, the armor and things, so you get some good options. You can get uh, lots of guys as well. You reinforce the table um, on a five, you get two goblins. So you can build up the numbers pretty quickly as well. Yeah, it's really key that they have that kind of extra bonus because that's one thing that sometimes Horde kind of companies can struggle is that they've got this potential for numbers, but if they don't get the influence, they can't really get there anyway. And that's one of the strengths of Moria and Goblin Town is because they're so cheap, they'll often be gaining influence uh, and they have that extra ability to roll for multiple models. So it's, yeah, they're they're a great little company. Yeah, we'll go on to Goblin Town then. Yes, Goblin Town. Now this is, uh, Jeremy said that Moria was the uh, second largest starting company. Well, the largest is, of course, Goblin Town with one more goblin. He, it's 10 goblin warriors and two goblin warriors with two-handed weapons. So 12 models, compare that to my four rangers of the north. Uh, it's mm. uh, quite a large discrepancy between smallest and largest. Uh, the Goblin Town Battle Company can also have up to 25 instead of 20, uh, really allowing you to take full advantage of that Chittering Horde special rule. Uh, your only advancements are turning your Goblin Warriors into Goblin Mercenaries, which are no slouches. The Goblin Mercenaries are very powerful. And then you've just got a whole bunch of Warriors, and as always, you can get two Goblin Warriors uh, uh, through the reinforcement table as well. Now, now your, just um... on that, oh, yeah. go on, go on. what's powerful about the Goblin Mercs? So the Goblin Mercs have that, well, obviously, I think they're they're still only D4, but I think that's an upgrade compared to the normal Goblin Warriors. <laughs> um, but you, you get that ability to deploy in terrain, which is, of course, uh, on, on a kind of really objective-based sort of mission setup, all the different various missions, which we'll go through in a sec. Uh, being able to deploy out of terrain and really kind of manage your positioning is certainly a really effective thing in battle companies. 
Oh, I disagree with you on that. That's that's locked into the captain. So the captain's warband deploys that, and that's not. Oh, in true. The oh, right. That. So what do mercs do then? I thought that was in uh, the warrior get... in the troop profile. I don't play them, so I've just seen them played. Uh, Are you they get literally to move just through... like a... one plus defense, and you get to move through rubble? Oh, move through rubble, and is it restricted to rocky terrain? Yes. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's not make me sound like an idiot. Then we'll take all that back. <laughs> Silly Lucky. Getting his captains and warriors <laughs> confused. No, I I know that because I play uh, one that we're going to talk about later on, and it's a disappointment to find that I couldn't just drop him in terrain that I wanted to. Yeah, man, that's a real shame. That's what I always thought was so cool about this battle company. Again, we have no one who plays it, but anyway. And of course, the hero special upgrade is Backstabber, uh, which just uh, allows the hero to gain the Backstabber's special rule, which is also, you know, super effective getting in there, getting against those trapped models and getting that extra strike. If you like numbers, this is the company for you. But other than that, they're pretty pretty standard. They're, they're not great in combat. They'll die quickly. They'll give lots of experience to your opponent, but they've got numbers. So if you can manage to surround them, you're going to cause some serious damage. We move on to Agmar, and this is this is a favorite of our era. People love playing Agmar. It's a very, very popular standard army, and the warband itself as well is pretty popular. So you get an orc starting crew. So you basically get uh, the, the nine orcs, which is a good number, to be honest. Like, nine's no slouches. Yes, there are only orcs to start with, but like the other mortal ones, you get some good choices to come up later on. You can upgrade from a two-handed weapon Angmar Orc, so the two-handed weapon's not the, the best choice, but they can turn into a wire grinder, which is really good. So upgrading straight to a wire grinder, very nice. Upgrading to a tracker, eh, lateral, that's fine. Your reinforcements are just orcs or the special chart, which is a tracker, which, yeah, once again, I'm not the biggest fan of trackers, they're okay. An Agmar Wagrod, which I am a big fan of, and a Deadmar Spectre, which is fantastic as well. That's on a five or a six. And your hero upgrade is the Gaze of the Dead. During its move phase, the hero may target a single enemy model within six inches. That target must then take a courage test. If it's passed, nothing happens. If it's failed, may not move for the remainder of the turn. During its move phase, every single move phase, you can start doing like an extra Spectre rule that just freezes them. That is a really, really good hero upgrade. Yeah, Angmar are my other equal favorite evil company with uh, with Minas Morgul. I think they're they're really cool. The access to Wags really quickly, and I love Spectres. Of course, you'll notice it's the two two companies yeah. that have access to Spectres, and having that extra Spectre upgrade on the uh, on the hero is really cool. Plus, the whole the you know the Angmar orcs, they're Angmar orcs. So when they're within three inches or six inches of a spirit, they they cause terror. Now, does that work with the Deadmarsh Spectres, no. Jez? It doesn't. No. So it'd have to be a Barrow White, which of course they don't have access to. It has to be a hero spectre, so a hero yeah. um, spirit. So that's that's going to be, and that's part of a that's an army special rule anyway. So it doesn't come over to battle companies anyway because you're not using the army special rules. Oh, cool. So effectively, on paper, for battle companies, we have no difference between Angmar orcs and and the normal mortar orcs. Correct. Bit of a shame. They probably could have uh, done a little something there, but that's all right. Now, when we get our um, Angmar versus Arnor supplement book, I'm sure there'll be something slightly different. Yeah, it would be cool to see a little bit more flavor come in for the Angmar Orcs. Now, I'm not going to jump in and take over our, our next company. We're going to let, oh, let, do, let Jeremy you. do two in a row. So, fire on, sir. Yes! Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Gundabad is my favorite one at the moment. And it's it's it didn't come out in the last book, unfortunately. It came up in a White Dwarf supplement. So, of course, I got the White Dwarf. Got that. Played it last time. It's changed. We used to get six orcs, but now we only get four orcs, two of them with a shield, two of them with spear, and we get four goblin mercenaries. So I thought, yeah, this is good. Goblin mercenaries, 
uh, it's not as good as I thought it was because they don't ambush. And the problem as well is these are gigantic models as well. So they, they don't scale the best with them. They do scale very well with the Berserkers. And that's what you want in this company. So on your special roll, so if you're on the special chart, you can get a Berserker or a Warbat. You can get up to two Warbats. And these in battle companies are just ridiculously good. Movement 12, two attacks. They, they are great. Can pick up models. They're so, so good. The Berserkers are so good running around at, at, at movement eight. They're, they're better than your heroes, quite frankly. Your reinforcements, you get Falwags, um, which I didn't expect as well. They're, they're pretty useful. Goblin mercenaries, not so much. And you get the orcs as well, which are good, especially because you can give them spear shield if you want to eventually. And the best model, if you want to spend a gigantic 15 influence points, you get a Gundabad Ogre, which is a nightmare at battle companies. So good. The hero upgrade, uh, it's okay. Devastating Strike. Before a duel, you can choose to reduce your attack's characteristic to one. So you pretty much only do this if you have a attack's characteristic of one. And you get one plus to the wound rolls for the main of the duel. This is probably one of the worst hero upgrades there is. It's not particularly good. Yeah, it's useful early game, but yeah, it doesn't have a lot of kind of staying power or longevity. But I, the thing that's mental here is, is the Gundabad Ogres. We had yes, we had yes. Ogres in our last edition campaign, and everything was going fine and dandy for my Rohan company until Ogres started picking them up and ripping them off their horses and smashing them into a pulp. So yeah, they're very, very cool company, and they do look really nice on the table. The Forge World models are pretty gorgeous, and God, those Ogres are scary. Yeah, yeah, no, so I, I've, I've been enjoying that. I'll give some stories later if we have some time about mine because that's a fun company. Okay, well, you let me do two, Lachlan, so I think you should take the next two. Well, the next two are pretty themey. They're a nice pair. We've got Dolguldua and the Denizens of Mirkwood, so both uh, coming out of that particular murky land in Middle-earth. In Dolguldua, we've got our big combination of Hunter Orcs and Felwags. Uh, the Hunter Orcs can be uh, upgraded to be Riding Felwags, and the Felwags can turn into Hunter Orcs Riding Felwags. So we've got lots of cab <laughs> going on here. Uh, our reinforcement table is pretty much more of the same, but also bringing in a few Gundabad Orcs with Shield and Spear at the later half of the table. Table, and their army-specific hero upgrade is the power of the Necromancer. So each time this hero suffers a wound on the roll, roll a d6 on a 5+, plus, the wound is ignored exactly as if a, a point of fate had been spent. Now, we've had this... Ex I think this is the same as Dunland, right? Just with a, a, a rename. Uh, so we've, yes. we've seen this kind of similar thing, and obviously the Blessing of the Golden Wood is similar, but it's on a 6+. plus. So we start to see a few of these mechanics get repeated, but uh, again, it's you know it's a useful mechanic, particularly when you've got such a low defense army, you know D4 Hunter Orcs and and Wags as well. Uh, so you will be taking wounds. So it's you know on a five plus, it's it's probably not too bad. It's a good company because you get two attack infantry to start off with. These Hunter Orcs, are, Hunter Orcs are good. You're strength four. You got two attacks. You got a decent number to start with, and they they start showing up very often. So this is this is a one that you can get a lot of fun out of, and you can just keep going. The, the heroes become really good. Anything with multiple attacks is good. Yeah, multiple attacks early is, is definitely really powerful, really powerful in battle companies, because just so, like, you know, we're so used to coming up against heroes all the time, but a lot of companies, everyone's just going to have one attack for ages, so it can really give you a lift. Moving over into our other murkier area, the Denizens of Mirkwood, and this is, of course, our big scary creature kind of combination here. We start off with two Mirkwood Spiders and three Felwags. Uh, the reinforcements, you got some interesting choices here. You can get some Broodlings, which are, of course, the, uh, the model from the Spider Queen. 
which are usually only spawned from her, uh, but they're on rare three, so you can only get three uh, broodlings. And then uh, Felwags, or you get access to a special chart. Now, the special chart has got the big stuff. You've got a Mirkwood spider, a giant spider, or a bat swarm. Uh, now, there's a few little different kind of uh, caveats here. The Bat Swarm uh, can't gain experience and can therefore never be a hero. And the Broodlings uh, have a little interesting note. If you already have three Broodlings in your company and you roll another one for reinforcements, treat that roll as a Fel Wag instead. The profiles for Broodlings, yeah, are the same as the Spider Queen. Now, they've got a couple of different uh, army-specific hero upgrades for the different creatures. The Wags get access to Ravenous Charge, which is uh, the hero essentially turns them into Cav, so extra attack and knock to the ground, even though they're not cavalry. Uh, and then the spiders get bloated creature, which is the same one that the uh, Kirathungal spiders get, which is on a 5+, plus, they ignore wounds as if a point of fate had been spent. So some creature goodness for the denizens of Mirkwood. This one is so, so tempting to play. The spiders are, are so good now with, with terror across the board and the fast movement. Mirkwood spiders with their, their webs are great fun to play. Felwags with the fell sight are really good because you just hide behind terrain and, and be opportunistic. But that special chart is, I don't know what I want out of it. The Mirkwood spiders are wonderful. The giant spiders are great with the fight for. The bat swarms are incredible models. You've got, you just want to roll in that special chart at all times. I think this this is the kind of company that, that you just save up for enough to, to hit to the special chart no matter what. Yeah, if you get onto that special chart, anything you're getting is awesome. Definitely worth worth uh, saving up your influence for that one. Then we move on to Harrod. So we're going in a totally different part of Middle Earth. We've got a few Harrod lists. The first one is pretty standard. Four Haradrim with spear, four with bow. Half of them can be bow armed. Well, you'd think so because half of them come with a bow to start with. They get advancements to raiders, which is really nice. So your bowmen can become raiders with bow. Your spearmen can become raiders with war spear. War spears are good. And you can get Serpent Guard later on, which can become Serpent Riders. So this is a, a classic cavalry-type Harrod uh, company. You can also get some Watchers of Karna, which have the two attacks, and the Arbrican Guard, which are the fatties with the, the excellent strength and fight value. The hero upgrade's good. Master of Poisons. This hero must reroll all failed-to-wound rolls, and it doesn't even say it's in combat. It's on shooting as well. So having that, that super poison is really, really nice as a hero option. This is a good, good little uh, company. Yeah, I really like the Harrod Company. It's 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 really balanced. You've got a lot of fighting power there, but of course it's Harrod, so you've got some softer units as well. A fair bit of Defense 4 floating around, uh, but you can get access to Cav really quickly, and, and that Poison special ability is absolutely savage. Really themey, really good fun to play, and this yeah, this would be a really good one to have in your gaming group because it's, it's quite different in flavor to a lot of the other companies. So yeah, good little company, Harrod. Uh, mm. still, still sticking around in our kind of uh, lower... Eastern half of uh, of Middle Earth, we've got uh, Karna, uh, which is a more specialised company from the particular region of Harrod. We've got uh, the starting company is uh, a bunch of Haradrim warriors, a couple of Watchers of Karna, uh, and one with a bow. Uh, unlike battle co- other battle companies, the uh, they have a fifty percent bow limit rather than the thirty three percent bow limit, which means that you can uh, get uh, all those extra juicy bows, just like the normal Harrod company. The hero upgrade is Master of the Haunted City, so that hero causes terror straight off the oh, bat, so good. Uh, which can be really, really handy indeed. Uh, your reinforcements, basically your big kind of difference here is that you don't have any access to cavalry. You're an all-infantry Harrod 
list and the price that you pay or the boon that you get for, for not getting cavalry is you get access to your Watchers of Kana uh, and of course you get a Spectral Warrior which is another custom profile. It's a rare one. A Spectral Warrior has the same profile as a Warrior for the Dead. However, they cannot gain experience and therefore cannot become a hero. So you get a Warrior of the Dead mixed in with your Carnate Forces. Uh, very interesting indeed. The only other difference is that you have uh, Warriors of Karna, which is another custom profile we don't see in standard Middle-earth SBG, uh, and they have an extra shoot value, 3 plus instead of 4 plus on your advancement chart. So some interesting little flavoured stuff there. Yeah, it, this one's tempting as well. Just to have the the one spirit in there and and lots of two attack models is is good fun. This is a tempting one, especially if you're not too fussed about not having the cavalry. We move on to Far Harrod, so we're going going way further out. And look, this this one is is a very very scary warband to play because you start off with Mahood, some with blowpipe, some with just warriors, and some with spears. So six of them, not too bad. Then they're, they're not a bad profile to start with. But you start advancing to Mahood Raiders. And this, to be able to get it half the time to either become a hero or Mahood Raider is so, so good. Because the Mahood Raiders have the camel thing where basically you do the Impaler hits and you do a Strength 4 hits. Which in battle companies is enough to take down most heroes. It can take down the big heroes. And you do it every time you charge in and you can do it multiple times. So you're getting heaps of camels and you're knocking guys down incredibly quickly. And then you've also got a special chart where you can start bringing out half trolls, which are are better than almost anyone's heroes. It's a scary, scary, scary battle company. Uh, Warrior's Pride gets you over the the, the courage disabilities that you have, where when you hear us in combat, the others pass courage tests, which is nice. Uh, Not having that is a bit of a downside. But this just oh, impaler hits are just that good. Yeah, the 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 impact hits from the impalers are absolutely savage. Particularly at battle companies, a, a good friend of mine, Andrew Cox, absolutely loves his far Harrod lists, and he ran pure camels at Articon this year. And uh, and when he got to play, uh, he was obviously too busy running a lot of technical stuff because he's behind the scenes at Articon. But he absolutely loves his camels, and and they just smash through anything, particularly in the uh, in the battle company scene. Uh, and you, they they're also available as unique war gear, which is really cool. Both the the um, yes uh, the war camels and the blowpipes. Um, so it, yeah, really great company. The hardest thing, I suppose, is probably uh, it's it's quite an expensive army uh, in terms of. Uh, accessing the models themselves because it's it's pure metal. Uh, are some of these models still out of production, Jeremy? Uh, oh, I'm not the person to ask that because I've I've had them for years and years. I think they came back. Okay, I cool. Think... They might all they might all be back now. They were difficult to get a hold of for a while, but definitely a pricier battle company. But yeah, if you want to pay to win. This is a good choice. For... <laughs> no, yeah. I, I I don't want to sound too bitter. I really like them from a theme point of view. I think they probably just got a bit too easy to get the camels in in their battle companies because they are. So, so good, that Impaler. Or maybe you need to have, like, non-Impaling Camels. I'm not sure, but, yeah. The, it's, it certainly seems pretty demo- powerful on paper. That would be very fun to play, I reckon. <laughs> it's demoralizing when you get charged and you lose half your, your company just on the impact hits and not the actual combat. One thing that I think can be extra powerful for them, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Impaler hits when you charge a Cavalry model. Doesn't that hit the mount and the rider? 
Yes, because you hit it simultaneously. So if you hit multiple models simultaneously, you hit everything. If you hit a cavalry model, you hit the top and the bottom. So yeah, yes. so I mean, where cav is so powerful in battle companies, so they're such a great anti-cav weapon. You just you've, you've got an all-mounted Rohan company. You just charge your dudes at it, bang, bang, bang. Half half the Rohan guys are off their horses. It's, yeah, it's pretty savage. Sticking in our little Harrod landscape, we've got the Corsairs of Umbar. Now they are they start with seven models, a mix of shields and spears and bows. Uh, and their reinforcements are, are fairly similar. They get a lot of Corsairs, or they get onto their special chart to access the good stuff, which is the Corsair Reavers and the Corsair Arbalester. Oh, Corsair Reavers are dangerous in battle companies, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're absolutely nuts models. You can also uh, upgrade your Corsair, Corsairs of Umbar up to the Corsair uh, Arbalesters with bows to get more of those crazy shields and crazy crossbows, or Arbalests. Uh, and uh, they've got a, a lovely little Shadows of Umbar upgrade, which is if this hero is partially concealed from view, they cannot be seen at all distances more than six inches. They appear to melt into the background. That means they can't be charged, targeted, blah, blah, blah. Now, the thing that's really interesting is it just says if the hero is partially concealed. It doesn't say if they're concealed by terrain like our normal elven cloaks do in the new edition. So they can be behind enemy their own units and still count as being concealed and thus not being able to be targeted. They've also got a unique piece of war gear, which is the smoke bombs. They cost two influence. Uh, they're a throwing weapon with a strength of one. Any model that is hit but not slain uh, by these weapons must immediately expend a point of will or be subject to transfix. Should this model ever roll a one to hit with their smoke bombs, then they run out of smoke bombs, just like Dalamir's smoke bombs uh, in the in normal Middle-Earth SPG. So they've got some really cool, interesting flavor, Jeremy. They do. Now, before I was talking about the Reavers, I talked about the Dangerous. Um, I imagine you'd have to deploy them on their own in battle companies because they would fail their courage tests fairly often and they don't have a bosun around to help them out. So That's, that's very true because they, they go crazy, right, and start attacking their own guys if, if they lose their yes. sanity and don't have the bosun to keep them in check. Yeah, so you need to keep them six and a half inches away from your friends and, and hope to get them in combat as soon as possible. Yeah, and they're fairly low defense as well, aren't they? So they're definitely in danger of being picked off. But, I mean, when they get in combat, they're pretty savage, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, I, without a doubt. Without, I think I actually like that. I like some things having some negatives. So that's that's not a bad. Sometimes models actually shine more in battle companies because they do fail courage tests at times. So, yeah, interesting choice. We move on to Easterlings. And Easterlings, they just look so good, these Easterlings. You get six of them. They're basically like Gondor to start with. But later on, they get quite different. You've got Black Dragons, so you get the upgrades to your Fight Value and Courage. You get Cataphracts that can turn into Black Dragon Cataphracts, I believe. It just says Black Dragons. I'm sure it's Cataphracts. And you've got the Eastland Cataphracts. So you've got the Cavalry. They're a good start. I think you've got those Runish Drakes that you can have later on. And the Skill Duelist means that when a hero fights an enemy hero, they can force them to reroll one of the dice in the Duel Rule, which is a very, very nice special rule. Yeah, very themey. The whole kind of like warrior class and their kind of culture that uh, the Middle Earth team has sort of built into the Easterling faction with Umduer and the Dragon Knights and the War Priest. They've kind of fluffed that out a little bit, and that's very in line with that. Their Easterlings are really cool. Uh, they're definitely a really nice army that looks on the table and, and definitely good fun getting access to cataphracts. You got your cav, everything you need in battle companies. Yeah, good fun little company. Yeah, I agree with that one. One more to go. Yes, our, our final faction. We're finally there. Uh, we're up to Khand, which is a, a huge fan of mine. I absolutely love Khand. Uh, it's a, a big favourite. You start off with seven models, uh, five warriors and two with bow. 
your reinforcements are fairly simple. You've got uh, some Kandish warriors, some Kandish warriors with bow, and then a Kandish horseman with a weapon of choice on a big six. Your advancements of any of your Kandish warriors as they just grab themselves a horse. Uh, you've got a specific hero upgrade called Master Skirmisher. If the hero is mounted, then they may still fire their bow, even if they have moved over half their value this turn. Additionally, if the hero is mounted, they don't suffer a minus one for using a two-handed weapon in a turn in which they charge. So it's all about buffing that cavalry. You mount your dudes quickly. It's all about cav. And then you have a unique piece of war gear, which is the Kandish Chariot for your leader only for 10 influence points. So this is, yeah, I mean, imagine having a chariot in battle yeah. companies. So that would be mental. The only kind of blockade for me in playing this is I still need to get all of my cards painted, but uh, they are stunning models, all metal, so a little bit of work if you want to do any crazy converting or anything for battle companies, but yeah, this would be a very fun faction to run. Yeah, that, a chariot in battle companies, that that sounds very impressive, and yeah, look, I like what they're doing with Khan at the moment, so that, that could be good fun. Horses on everything's always good, and the way battle companies are heroes advanced, you could get some interesting stuff going on. I would love to do a Carnish Sorcerer, uh, the upgrade for it. I think that would be really cool. Yeah, that would be very cool. You could like theme it around, you know, there's obviously a lot of different interpretations of the, the blue wizards and different bits yes. and pieces of lore from, you know, the, all the, the different kind of areas of, of the Tolkien sphere, but you could certainly have fun theming one around a blue wizard gone wrong and starting a bit of a cult down in Khand. Absolutely. Well, that's all the list. There's there's a lot there, and that's taken us a fair chunk of our episode. So the rest of the book, we're going to skim over it a little bit because I want to talk a little bit more about um, our experiences more than anything because you guys can get the book and read it yourself. But next thing you've got is 18 different scenarios, and what I like about this edition is they do feel quite different, and they feel a lot closer to being, I guess, balanced in that the, the the lower companies can win them. Some of them have interesting missions where you have to kill a certain model or pick up a an objective or jump something off the board or go take a, take on a horde of wags or a troll. It, it's I think they've been interesting scenarios, and I've played through, and there hasn't been anything that I've hated so far, which has been really good. Yeah, the one that the the thing that's really uh, a big kind of boon for for battle companies is something that I think is really complement to the game design is that. As Jeremy said, the objectives, the victory, defeat, and draw conditions are designed very specifically across the vast majority of the scenarios so that small companies have a chance. If you're playing a 500-point company versus a 200-point company, it's not GG straight away. You're not just playing games to automatically take a loss and then take the influence and upgrade. There's definitely ways, and sometimes it's really well-balanced for, for both sides to win regardless of size because of the specific nature of of the companies. The only scenario that we've come across which is relatively broken is Tame the Beast, which is the cave troll scenario. It was the same in the last edition. It's it's useful for like the first two or three games because it's one cave troll, but as soon as the companies get really capable, within two turns one of the one of the companies has killed it and it's game over. The way we house rule that locally is that we add the values of the uh, the two companies together and divide that by a hundred, and then however many that equals, we play with that many trolls. So we played, you know, a a, a three hundred point company versus a two hundred point company, and there were five trolls on the battlefield. And then you just take turns moving the troll, and whoever kills the most trolls counts as winning. Um, and only one of the trolls will give away the kind of special rule. But aside from that particular scenario, uh, the rest of them uh, are really really balanced. Yeah, you've been playing with powerful companies. I doubt the Dunlin company is going to be able to take down a troll. I think that's that's a tough ask for them. Yeah, that that could definitely be true. We've got, you know, 
souped up Lothlorien archers and Gondor with staff of power and big rangers. So, um, but yes. yeah, it can be it can be a, a, a very easy snipe for a particularly shooty company that they can kill a troll in a turn. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. The shooting, yeah, because trolls aren't that hard to kill. I think um, also upgrading them to bigger monsters, like a Watcher in the Water or a Dragon oh, or something like be, that might that be a good be idea. That would be a great idea. Yes, yes, yes. Getting in something big. Yeah, that'd be very fun. Just restricted by what models we have. Oh, eventually a Mumak. <laughs> that'd be fun. We also get a third player to play it, and they play it tactically. So they usually like run away from the companies to start with and have them try to, try to trap them into engaging each other and then be a bit opportunistic. And that works reasonably well because... The problem with the troll one is that if the troll comes at you, you pretty much win the game because you want it to come towards you. That's so... absolutely true, yeah. yeah that's, that's a good idea because uh, for those who haven't got the book in front of them, the way it works is essentially whoever's got priority controls the troll. So, it, you know, if, if, you, if you've got priority and you want to kill it, you run it towards you. So, it's yeah, not the most effective of missions. Yeah, but that one, it's easy to play around. I mean, you've got some house rules, we've got some house rules. I think probably most people have some house rules for it because that's the beauty of it as well is you can always just change them up a little bit. And if you've got a company that's really like well and truly bigger than another one, you might even have a rule where some of their, their guys stay at home, they don't get everyone or whatever. You can build them up that way and make sure the actual game is still fun because you don't want it to just be an exercise in one person wipes out the other one and then you just start rolling for experience. Absolutely, very true boring videos if you did that i like the little locations you've got in the game so there's rules for haunted ruins and lake town and forests and things we haven't used enough of these i actually would like to use the forest a bit more goblin town dwarf holds i i really want to like i I don't have a lake town board it's one of the sort of few locations i've never really dabbled in building with so i'd I'd, because the lake town special rules are just crazy there's one here it's fish baskets which essentially, instead of making strikes, you can grab a fish and whack your opponent in the face with a fish. <laughs> I mean, that's just... Oh, I've got to do that at some point in the game. That would be absolutely amazing. So I'd, I'd love to dive into that. But there's a lot, yeah, a lot of really cool rules for different locations, which is really fun. Yeah, and then you move on to a narrative campaign, which we had a... a it's a different one from last time, which is good. I think there's been a few of them now, some in White Dwarf, some of them in the books. They're a bit of fun, but I find that some of them, it's almost like just free treasure for, for some of the scenarios because um, you go in and if you have the right company for it, you end up getting all this kind of stuff on a real head start on your campaign. Yeah, they can definitely, yeah, if you're trying to run like a really balanced league, uh, bringing in narrative, the narrative games can be really tricky because, uh, yeah, I mean, some of the war gear that they give is just absolutely insane, but they're, they're really fun kind of bringing in that narrative element. I think, yeah, we've had... There's been one in each book and then a corresponding uh, sort of... Because each, each campaign's designed for good or evil, although you can play it with both. Uh, there, there's been a, a sort of corresponding match in White Dwarf, so we must have four narrative campaigns now. But often what we do is rather than playing that full campaign is we'll just pick and choose a few scenarios from the different ones, pretty, pretty much match to what terrain we have, and then bring that into our existing league. But it's, it's a great element with some extra special rules and different flavour. In the past, we've done what we call the the speed run for it. So what you do is it says you can play like one to three games between each of them. We play it so your objective is to win the campaign in as little games as possible for your, your company. So you go through, you try and race through them, and then everyone takes their companies against you and tries to really stop you. Like their aim is to, to just sabotage your campaign. And that becomes interesting because you've got to choose when you go on and say, am I ready? Do I have enough experience now to go to the next level? And ideally, you want to do it with only one normal game in between, but you want to make sure you don't lose any guys in between. So it's a nice way of playing the campaign in a bit of a a semi-competitive way as well. 
Yeah, that's a really a really clever way of doing it. Very, very fun. And then the next kind of alternate campaign style that we have in this new edition is the map-based campaign, which is uh, a big kind of difference. We didn't have anything like that in the last edition, uh, and, it's, and it's a really, really cool way of playing the game. Have you guys done any map-based stuff down where you guys are? Yeah, we're working on one at the moment now. So I, of course, have started in Gundabad with my Gundabad 1, which is an interesting place because I'm sort of locked out up the top on the map. But yeah, it's it's fun to be moving towards territories. And we're just at the stage now where everyone's about to start clashing and taking some territories over because everyone's got their own and they're all sort of converging into the middle. So that should be good fun. Um, and there's lots of interesting special rules for all the different territories. Uh, what I don't like is that it's the whole of Middle Earth. I wish it was just a, like just a few different areas because I think... If I was going to run one personally, I would say, right, we're going to run one in Rohan, and you can only take the following companies. You can take Dunland and maybe a Wagrider and some Isengard and some Rohan and maybe a Lothorian, and then just really zoom in and say, right, this is our area and this is our map campaign, because it feels weird to have 12 models traveling from one side of Middle-earth to the other to fight 12 models of another people. Yeah, it totally does. From that point of view, Like that's a really cool idea, actually, kind of making it a bit more narrowed down. Essentially, like, it, it doesn't... When you think of map campaign, this kind of doesn't really equate to the traditional wargaming map campaign where you're actually moving armies around, holding locations. Essentially, this map campaign is just a scoring overlay system that allows you to score campaign points, grab some extra bonuses for your games, but it doesn't really affect your games that much. You know, It's not like you're actually physically in those locations. It just relates to taking territories off each other and scoring. So I think your idea of having a bit more of that kind of local make sense sort of scale it would would be really cool but we, we've run the map campaign and we find it to be really fun and and to help give a bit more motivation and, and direction but yeah i really want to try that rohan campaign now that sounds awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i thought you'd like that one that's why i use rohan for the example i would really love to do one um over in the east like khand and and maybe some some rohan and some some mordor and some other things and have a like a that would be cool have far harried have a lot of evil ones fighting against each other yeah very cool get that civil war going yeah, that'll be fun. And then you've got suggestions about how to play larger games, which look like fun. Have you played any of these? No, we haven't brought any of our companies into, into bigger games. We're starting to move towards, we're going to have a round of narrative campaign where our companies are like teaming up and doing like a couple of companies on each side. But we haven't done any like companies versus, you know, a big like normal army or, or that kind of thing with the rescue the company sort of thing. But geez, it would be fun. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, we get our typical gallery, which is fine. In the first book, I didn't like this because they talked about not being able to fit companies like Dunland in because they didn't have enough space and then showed pictures, which I thought would have been better suited for White Dwarf. But this one, they seem to have really good content. So it's good that they've shown some different companies as well. No Dunland company, unfortunately. No one's been brave enough to take those. But there's some other good ones across the board. There is a Gundabad one, which I quite like. Yeah, one thing one thing that's that's worth complimenting is that uh, the lighting is really nice in some of these photos. The uh, the, the David Whitaker's Men of the West Company in particular have done a really nice job in in making a bit of a moonlight vibe on the on the lighting. So well done, whoever's doing the miniature photography these days. You've got some very nice, beautiful lighting here. Yeah, and the um the halls of Thranduil, um Lewis's one, the the one in the mist as well, which is looks yeah, really fun. Nice and spooky. Looks really cool. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, I'm, yeah, not really a photo person, so that, yeah, that's a, that's really cool. I do like the Gundabad one as well. It's got some really interesting sick, conversions. That's really cool. Look at that whip. That's very cool. It's like a grappling hook, actually. Crikey. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. stuff. Good stuff. 
Well, that's the end of the book. So I wanted to to finish off this episode, talk to you a bit about our experiences. Now, you're lucky in that a lot of your experiences have been documented online. So do you want to go first, and then I'll I'll show you. Some, I'll talk about some of mine. Yeah, cool. Well, obviously, we've been running a couple of campaigns uh, on our channel. We've got uh, we had a, in the kind of second edition, we did uh, a bit of a. A, a kind of league where we had kind of players coming in and dropping in and out sort of about 20 to 25 players over the course of the whole uh i think we played that over four or five months and and each round we'd build up to one of the narrative games and we try and play like three normal games in a narrative game each week and and, and or each month sorry and then whoever would have the biggest company rating and the best score at the end would be the victor but as with all battle companies it often sort of just became an excuse to hang out and play some fun games you know the competitive edge kind of kind of lost a bit and we all just sort of started having too much fun uh, and then this edition, uh, we've kept it nice and small with, with just the four of us, Jacko, Jacques, John and I, so that we could document every single game and, and take our viewers kind of on that whole journey of the entire Battle Companies campaign. And and uh, and it's it's really fun seeing everyone get invested, um, not just in my experience for a change, but I pretty, think pretty much everyone on the channel is rooting for Jacko, the underdog with Mordor, because he still hasn't won a game. Um, <laughs> so it's it's been really fun. It's Yeah, the, I've been playing Rangers of the North, like I said, which is a really different experience because it's all hero uh, as opposed to my Rohan company last time, which was lots of warriors with a few big hitting heroes. Um, but I, I guess lately I've been playing kind of small and elite in all of my gaming. My normal uh, list for normal middle-earth strategy battle game is, is Rohan, 800 points. It's like 23 models. So I've been playing kind of small and elite for, for a while now. I think maybe that's because it, it lends itself to being filmed really well or I really like getting invested in a few models and and uh, and having to be kind of really tactical with where they go. So it's it's been a, a very fun journey and, and mixing it up between the map-based stuff and narrative stuff and normal kind of uh, scenario play. So yeah, it's been it's been really fun this edition. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think this edition's the first time I've I probably really enjoyed it. The other times I w- would have said, "Oh, just just give or take it" because it felt like most of the game was the end phase and not the actual game itself. But this one there's enough tactical choices and enough choices for your heroes that I feel like it's it's got me engaged. I played five games with my Gundabad. So my first game was against Keith. I played against the Rivendell group and my job was to assassinate the leader. So I snuck out. The Rivendell was much more powerful than me, but they were being sentinels and I just waited it out, waited it out, used my goblins as decoys and then went in with my orcs and managed to, to get a trap and kill off the hero. So I got a win first up and got an assassination. Uh, one of my warriors, Kalgoz, a spearman got promoted immediately. So that was really good. I had four heroes off the bat, called my company Zargogs, Gunderboys. So they were, they were off to a good start. I then played game two against Isaac's Isengard. And this one, it was, you know, when one of them has a message or something, or some artifact, and you've got to kill them and hope Oh, yeah, like k- k- kill the messenger or something. Yeah, you're like trying to assassinate a secret VP or something, I think. Yeah. No, I love this one because there was a lot of bluff in it. So I had a, I had basically a goblin and a one of my other orc spearmen pretending to have the message. So they were both on the flank being really conservative. And I ended up losing every single model in this game except for my one orc spearman who had the message. That's awesome. So, we, so got a draw, ended the game. I only killed like one model. It was it was absolutely destruction because I was once again a much lower lower rating. But I pulled off a draw in a game that I probably had no right to be just because I was able to bluff and hide and, and feed goblins in. But unfortunately in that game, the end result was that Kalgoz, my orc spearman, that had just been promoted, got a leg wound. So he was going a bit slower next game. So that was a bit unfortunate, but not too bad. I'm okay. And I think I got for reinforcements like a wag or something like that. So started to build up the wags. 
Then for game three, I played against Jaden, and this was against the Wanderers in the wild list. So this is a scary, scary list. It was the one where there's five objectives in the middle, and you have to go over and flip over the token to see if it's the real one. Once again, I sent some goblins up the flank and managed to, to get the right objective, and those two goblins ran the whole way, while the rest of my force was basically dying slowly to the, to the elves and dwarves. The goblins got them off in the last turn, so really got another win against a, a highly rated war uh, company. So that was very exciting for me. Unfortunately, Kalgoz got wounded again and took a second leg wound, so I was down to three heroes again. On oh, poor, oh poor no, not, not not the namesake of the company. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he well he was essentially a lieutenant then. So Zargog's my my leader. He um was basically going down a path of a hero, the warrior. I have a Morkor, my other Gundabad orc with shield. Um, it's going down the path of the sorceress. I got some transfixing things, and um my goblin hero end up chose to be path of the the general. So he's got some upgrades. I'll talk about those in a moment because he hadn't got them yet. But I started to grab wags. So by the end of that game, three wags had joined my company. So Gawa and Gra were all my wags that had to come along. So I was starting to get a bit of speed. I still had my four goblins. So I'm turning to a bit of a goblin and wag warband. And I had managed to save up for the Berserker. So I spent like a huge amount of influence after that game, like six or seven, just to get the Berserker. I was very happy with it because it Berserker means that I've got some fight four and I've got some ability and I've got some hitting power. So the warband's starting to click at this point. And two wins and a draw to start off with, pretty good. I then, for game four, was defending the gate against Jacob's uh, Mordor. So against Orcs, Orcs versus Orcs. I got to be the defender, and I started off with less models and just basically won every combat by one or two pips and and just wiped them out entirely. So didn't lose anything. That was like the perfect game for me. I didn't even have my Berserker that game because for some reason it... Uh, no, the Berserker got injured during that game, so missed the next game. But my Sorcerer's got better at transfixing my... my company's looking okay but nothing spectacular i think i managed to buy another orc at that point so i got back to the four orcs but then i faced Jaden again in game five and i had nine rerolls to start the game guess how many rerolls i used during the game i used exactly zero zero rerolls oh so, dear the old forgetting of the rerolls hey <laughs> no not a single chance to use them wow. so we're playing that that scenario where you know there's orcs in like a little orc pen and you have to go and and once the orcs die whoever's got the most models in the orc pen gets uh, gets the win yes of course i haven't actually played it yet but it looks like a great scenario yeah unfortunately jacob played the orcs so he was there he decided to split them up evenly and attack us both okay that's fair enough although i was half the the gang raiding or the company raiding is Jaden. Jaden has a whole army of snipers so he just started picking me off and then uh, Jacob, who had the orcs, started shooting at me. So I lost like two wags and an orc early on, like first turn or something like that. So I was way down. So I didn't have enough models to be able to get the pen. Ran my models in, did did some good in combat, killed a bunch of orcs. But unfortunately, I just never had the opportunity because I was either getting shot by Jaden and I didn't have fate on those models, so no reroll possibility, or just killing orcs, so no reroll needed. So I didn't actually have an opportunity to use a single reroll. But I lost that game, but I only lost... Um, I only had three injuries. So it's, it was a win because I got like 11 influence or something ridiculous and have now recruited a Gundabad Ogre. So Ooh, Berzer, lovely. the Ogre, is ready for next game. And my Berserker's coming back. So I've got a roster now with Zargog, who's a hero slayer, two might now, just a, a Gundabad Orc, my, my leader with shield. I've got 
the Shaman one, uh, the Gundabad Orc Sorcerer, has got a 4 plus transfix now. Resistant to magic, which I've never used. So that's that's going to be pretty handy at some point. I've got a couple spear shield Gundabad Orcs. So I've, I've upgraded them to extra equipment. I thought, right, I'll go the spear shield so they don't just die immediately. And my goblins are starting to come good. I've got uh, Clink, my general, who's got Courage 3 and a Stand Fast of 9 plus. Uh, 9 inches, sorry. Stand Fast, which is uh, Courage 3 and Gundabad's fine. I've got uh, Stab, who's become a hero, so he's got a point of fate. I've got Picker and Slice, who are just goblins who will never die. I try to get them to die because I want the roster spot, but they um they go in and they just kill everything. So <laughs> they're good, and I've got three wags. Yeah, it's funny how like sometimes you, you really want to kind of kick off those lower-performing or lower-tier stat warriors, and then they just don't die and manage to kill stuff. Happens all the time. Yeah, no, my goblins are, have been... They, they won me a game where they carried an objective off. They're... They, they, doing the most kills out of anyone because I, I think I'm just so reckless with them that they're, they're okay. Like, current defense four is okay. Their strength's okay. They've got a pick or a, a, a fainting weapon and I don't care about stabbing with them because I'm like, oh, I want them to die anyway so I'll go more aggressive and then they're, they're doing the work. So, I won't shed a tear when they go because I'll be able to replace them with berserkers but at the moment, they're holding their own. Sounds like a pretty fantastic journey so far. I can't wait to see that... Uh... Oh, hear back on the report of that ogre swinging his club around and getting some big kills for you. Last campaign, um, I died first game, so I'm hoping oh that it lasts. Of course, it rolls on the warrior chart, doesn't it? Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so that's where, um, you know what, my next purchase is pro- probably going to be some herbs. Yes, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely get some herbs, try and save it. <laughs> the problem is that, I, oh, I don't know, if you use the herbs at the start of the game or the end of the game, I can't remember, but um, yeah. I, I think to... I think you have to choose to to spend them before you roll, so it's sort of like you've got to make a judgment call. Um, oh, okay, that's all right. Yes, but uh, but you do you do get to see your in, if you guys are injured first, I believe. Um, so you can kind of yeah, at the end of any game, if they if they were not removed as a casualty, uh, yeah. So before you make the injury rolls, yeah, no, perfect. So I'll definitely get some when I save up some some extra influence. Because then it's basically just going to be troll and berserker insurance. So if yeah, they, oh yeah. sorry, no ogre insurance. Just because I don't want to spend the fifteen influence again, I'm not going to buy a second one. I want to get some bats and some berserkers and some other things in there. So I don't want a second ogre in there on the roster. But I can imagine that would be amazingly good. Yes, yeah. Having fought two ogres before in battle companies, it's savage. <laughs> I guess if um Kylie keeps running the the far harrowed of all the impalers, maybe I will get the second one just to do something about those camels. Just to pick up the camels and hurl them around. <laughs> and other camels to get rid of the camels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Well, thank you so much, Lachlan, for coming on and talking battle companies. I'm I'm probably more excited about this battle companies edition than I ever have before, which is not saying a whole lot. It's only been out three times, but. It is a really interesting way of playing, and I'm I'm actually enjoying it. We've got our local league going. We're playing once a fortnight, and it's it's fun to get around and see lots of new players around as well. There's there's people that haven't really played much before that it appeals to them, which is I found a bit strange. I thought it'd be more for veteran players, but it seems to be gathering them in. And I think part of it is that your videos, a lot of people are watching those and getting excited about it as well. So, yeah, thank you for what you're doing for the community there. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I hope so. I hope people get excited about it. It's pretty cool. I, I think that's something we found as well. It's um, it's a really interesting 
sort of system for new players. I think people like the idea of the low buy-in and and maybe the just the just the way that it's 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 a really easy system that they can just pick up and 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 jump into. And it's it's certainly an exciting little RPG overlay to get attached to our, our guys and 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 name them and and get into that. So yeah, we've definitely seen it bringing in some new players. I think we had a a kind of quite a remote rural community here that's about two hours out of Brisbane, and there's sort of three or four veterans who always come down to Brisbane to play in our bigger tournaments. And once Battle Companies came out, they started up a league in their little remote well it's not super remote but in in Toowoomba uh, and they now have a league of something like 20 or 30 Middle Earth players who have all come through because of battle companies uh, uh, up in what is effectively a a pretty large country town or or small country city so Mm. that's that's it's pretty awesome that it manages to to facilitate those new players because of the low buy-in so yeah it's a it's it's really good fun I'm really enjoying it and thank you so much for having me it's been awesome coming on and uh, chewing your ear off about battle companies for several hours (laughs) I love it. Yeah, no, absolutely has. And look, hopefully I can get on your show at some point in the future as well. Definitely. As soon as possible. Yeah, whenever we're in the same place, it's happening. We'll make it happen. It's going to be good. Hopefully you come up to Arda Unleashed and then we'll uh, we'll spend a whole day doing Green Dragon, Zorp Zorp crossover stuff. It'll be good. Yeah, I'm definitely up for that. I think it's looking very likely at this point. It's, I mean, it's getting really exciting. We've got something like potentially five or six Victorians, five or six New South Welshmen. We've already got like three or four Kiwis who are coming over. Most of them have booked flights. We've got Western Australians. It's getting very exciting. I'm, I'm hoping we should be able to get a really, really lovely showing from all across Australia and New Zealand as well, which is really cool. Oh, that, that's tough. Then I have to decide if I want to go competitive or I want to go Dunland. Oh. Dude, Ugh, dude. Well, we we had um, at BrizCon one of our tournaments earlier in the year, which is like 36, 37 players. I think two of the top five armies were Dunland, and we have oh wow, we have no idea how it happened. <laughs> but the one of the players playing them is a particularly competent general, which does help. But the Dunland horde, man, it 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 achieved uh, more than most thought it would. <laughs> Oh, that, that's heartening. Good, good. Well, hopefully I can see some other Dunland up there. That would be fantastic. Yeah, well, I mean, I imagine Rohan at War will be out before Arda Unleashed as well. So, uh, oh, you, true, yeah. you never know. You might have some extra motivation to take Dunland. We'll have to see. We will, we will. Now, I'll, look, I'll take whatever is the most photogenic army I have, just in case we, we do get out the cameras. True, 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 true. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lachlan. And remember, listeners, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.